All right, welcome everybody. I got a new computer. I got a, I got a new mic plugged in. Well, it's actually an old mic, but. Uh... doing is it glitchy again oh no is, is it glitchy again please internet lords let this work tonight it seems like it's glitchy hey baby is it glitchy i guess we'll see how's everybody doing uh, i'm sorry i'm just waiting to see uh any response not here james dunn says not here and says it looks good Seems to be working at the moment. Five by five, that's 25. Are we doing math now? Jen Brew, don't make me do math. No glitches, Lindsay Chapman says. Okay, cool, hello Marty, greetings from Poland. Working fine on my end. The Sleeper 7, thank you. Okay, cool, awesome. So yes, I got a new computer and I got uh, my old mic hooked up, so hopefully the, the sound is better. But, uh, so welcome everybody, thank you all. Sounds great, good on my end, 100%, excellent. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, you are listening to the Gnostic Trojan Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, or you're watching it, one of the two, or both, whatever. Anyway, um, so tonight we're doing Friday Night Live. Uh, and yeah, just because I wanted to do this, and I figured it was more of like a Friday night kind of thing, or Thursday night. We tried to do this last night, but my computer was all screwed up. So we're here, and we're doing it, and we're live. Deb McNally, mom says it looks good. So there's uh, 31 people watching, and two of them are my mother and father, and then the other one's my wife, and then I've got like my two cousins watching, and then Lindsay Chapman and Jen Brew. And that's about it. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, today we're going to talk about Melancholia 1 and the genius works of Albrecht Dürer. And my wife is going to scream at me from the other room because my German is shit, and I can never pronounce that name incorrectly, even though he's pretty much one of my favorite artists now, if not my favorite artist. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to first cover um, some of the leftover pictures that I didn't get to on the last Sunday stream. And um, and then we'll launch into the works of Albert Durer. And we're going to decode Melancholia 1, or at least parts of it. You know, um, We're going to go, go into the uh, magic square of Jupiter. A lot of good stuff. So got a lot to cover today. So... Um, Sunday service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. So be there or be squared circle. So um, this Sunday we're going to do On the Nature of Evil. I might talk about Baphomet too. I was thinking I'm, I'll do Baphomet and the Nature of Evil, but I'm not sure. I'm putting it together right now. Started putting it together today. And so we'll see. Well, um, I, want, I want to make this Sunday like maybe like an hour or so, you know, try to keep it tight. Tight. So... Um, I want to thank Content Safe. They're working on right now getting me up on BitChute, on Rumble, and on Odyssey. And I do have a Rockfin account set up because everybody was poking and prodding me and trying to get me on Rockfin. And so I I did it. So um and so I I'm stream I'm 
trying to stream there right now, but it doesn't look like it's working, so I obviously screwed something up because I'm a technological neophyte, but we are streaming on YouTube, and so from now on, we will stream to YouTube and Rockfin. I'll have some premium content over on Rockfin, and then um, basically all the, oh, on Rockfin, Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, all the uh, sermons will be up, so all the 34, I guess we're on 35, 34 sermons will be up there, and then we're going to keep YouTube nice and clean because you know how it is. I don't think I need to explain to you the censorship, the, the den of thieves and vipers that YouTube is, and so we have to keep it uh, We have to keep it clean. So basically the last sermon that we do will be the only thing up on YouTube, and then, of course, everything at GnosticAcademy.org. And if you're not a slacker and a slough, you should go sign up. It's only 14 bucks uh, uh, every three months or 54 for the year, and you can do a one-time payment or um, you can just, you know... You can just link up your entire savings account. Just shut, just, never mind. Anyway. Uh, so thank you to Content Safe because they're making that happen. So, uh, and so I'm thinking maybe next week those sermons will be up. And then from now on, they'll, they'll all be up there. So um, if you get a chance and you're able to, you should go to Flattoberfest. Last year, Flat, and it's um, October 22nd and 23rd in Greenville, South Carolina. So if South Carolina's like here, Greenville's like up here. And so... Um, and it was a great time, uh, last year. We really had, it was, it was kind of needed, uh, last year, but it was kind of, it was a nice recharge to just go and see all the people and actually be able to have an open conversation instead of having to like self-censor yourself all the time around people. And you can't talk about chemtrails or flat earth or the convid one nines and all that other stuff. And so, uh, there it's an open marketplace. Everybody who was last year, everybody was really chill and so, um, looking forward to it this year. And the and the um, the lecture I'm going to do is going to be called. I think it's going to be called the greatest conspiracy on earth. And so I'm going to be going to a Flattoberfest, which is already you know flat earth, which is already a huge conspiracy. But we've got we're going to top that. We're going to go one more on top of that flat earth conspiracy. So looking forward to that. I'm already starting to put it together, and it's going to be good. Um, also, True Earth Mount Miru Summit. I'm going to be speaking Friday night, six to six to seven, and I don't know if that's Central Time or if that's West Coast Time. I'm not really sure. You'll have to double check that. But you can go to Thames Live, uh, T E M M S dot Live, and you can also get this right on GnosticAcademy.org. I've got the link right on the homepage. You can go there and you can sign up, and you should because it's a bunch of really great people that are going to be speaking. Um, like a whole spectrum of people. David Avocado Wolf is going to be speaking. Um, uh, Hibbler from Hibbler Productions. Uh, Wits It Gets It. Um, Dave Murphy. Uh, Peggy Hall just signed up. Peggy Hall just signed up. Brian at High Impact Vlogs. Um, they're going to do com uh, music by Conspiracy Music Guru. And then um, uh, comedy specials by Owen Benjamin and Alex Stein. Um, I mean, there's just a whole bunch of really great people. I don't even remember all the people that are going to be there. But um, and Jaron, uh, of course, he's kind of, he's kind of the one setting it up. And so um, yeah, and it's like it's like a hundred bucks. But if you use the promo code, I got a promo code. I'm like Ben Shapiro and shit. If you use the promo code Marty50, you will get fifty percent off, which means. It's literally 50 bucks for two days of speeches all day and you can come and go as you want. And yes, it is online. It's not. It's an online summit. You don't have to travel and buy tickets and wear masks and get your jab and get one here and here. 
uh, to go and visit this. You can do it at the comfort of your own home and you can have a glass of wine or smoke your spliff or whatever whatever it is you all do. Um, but it's going to be great. So uh, go to Thames Live. That's True Earth Mount Miru Summit. I'm going to be uh, promoting this uh, every week. I would love if uh, 50 of you or 50 or 100 of you would uh, sign up and use Marty 50 and uh, would just help out the summit so they can do it again next year and it can be bigger and bolder and better and, you know, all that sort of thing. So, so that is that. Um, how are we doing in this chat? Will Gensky is here. James Dunn is here. Uh, also, everybody, thanks. Um, uh, everybody, uh, Karen B. Yes, is an amazing hostess. Yes, Karen B. is one that puts together flat or the Flattoberfest, and Karen B. is the shit. She has been. I, I think I've said this before, but she's really been a pillar in this community for a long time, and she is no bullshit, and she, you know, takes no shit, and she speaks her mind, and, um, yeah, I love her for it, and she's, and I met her in person, and she's great. It's so cool when you get to meet these people, and they're exactly who they are online, you know what I mean? It's not like they're putting on some show, and blah, 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 you know, um, and so that's, it's really cool, so if you guys can get there, please get there, do it. Amanda Volner will be there. Yes, Amanda Volner will be at um, Thames, the Thames, not Flattoberfest, Thames. Um, so anyway, so yes, smashy, 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 that likey, likey. Yes, Ben Balderson's talk, yes. Uh, and, and Flattoberfest is going to be uh, Benjamin Balderson, Baldy over there. Um, yes, uh, who else is going to be there? Uh, Mark Sargent's going to be there. Austin Witza gets it, who's like the Zen master of Flat Earth. That's what I've been calling him lately. He's like a, he's like a Flat Earth ninja is what that guy is. Um, Karen B's going to be there. Um, Zach and Cammie, um, just there's, there's a lot of lot of good people. And then, of course, um, all the crew is going to be there too. Like Spicy Sarah's going to be there. And um, our friend Christy just talked about possibly going there. Marlene Stetler, what are you doing? Hey, hey, you, you need to be a moderator. Boom, done, just like that. Look at the power I have. Okay, so really looking forward to that. So if you get a chance, sign up at, um, go to Flattoberfest if you can. Meet us there. Um, we'll be selling books. We'll be selling uh, rosaries and Bibles and things like that. And you'll get to meet my better half. And by better half, I mean like by 70% better, my wife. So, and then Thames as well, if you get a chance, promo code Marty50, Marty50. Okay. Thank you to everybody. Uh, I just got a package today um, in the mail from Bud and Gabriel Madison, who um, they're, they're, they like to hang out here at the Gnostic Church and Academy. And so they just sent me a nice package today. And then Deborah, I, apparently her name is Style. It's not Stilly. It's Deborah Style. But I'm still going to call you Stilly because I'm just going to do that. So I hope you don't take offense to that, but it's just in my brain now. So thank you. She sent a nice package to my wife and... And I, and it was really nice to receive that. So, and I also want to thank everybody that signed up, members of the Academy. Please, if you get a chance, stop on over to GnosticAcademy.org and sign up. And then also thanks to anybody that is or going is going to sign up at the Thames. Um, I appreciate it. So, all right, let's do it. Um, Interverse Podcast is here. Nice, brother. Nice. Um, okay. So... Uh, I just want to go over the rest of the pictures that uh, I didn't go over last Sunday because my computer took a took a big poopy. Okay, um, so this was the Saint Vitus, and I'm just going to show a few, and because I, I really want to get into uh, Albert Albert Durer, Durer, whatever his name is. 
I want to get into that, but I just want to go over this uh, kind of quick. So this was uh, one of the rooms in the, it's called, it was the St. Vitus Prayer Room, I think is what this is, but it was in the, it's the cathedral, this massive cathedral in Prague. And so the whole room is like un unbelievable paintings. And then look at that chandelier and everything is gold plated. And you can, uh, you can see they've got, they've got this kind of uh, Ark of the Covenant thing and it's, it's crazy. This is what the inside of that place looked like. And it was packed when we were in there. There was a lot of people there. And so once again, just, uh, you know, the architecture is just mind numbing. It really is. It's just fantastic. And, and even if we were to say that like, you know, bigger people built this stuff or whatever, it doesn't even matter. You know, that once again, the attention to detail, the care, the, the time, the artistry, the, the craftsmanship, you know, you had woodworkers and stonemasons and painters and people that were doing stained glass windows and chandelier makers and metalsmiths. I mean, just, you know, every, they, you know, the, the amount of, you know, who is the, the general contractor on these jobs and who, whatever it is, he's not getting paid enough. You know what I'm saying? I've worked on jobs, you know, doing the interior decors of stores, like grocery stores and stuff like that. And those general contractors were always in a bad mood. They were always on the phone yelling at somebody. And we were always the last guys to go in as the sign people. So we, you know, we had the opportunity to really screw things up. So they really did like us. So, um, you know, I saw those guys in the anxiety and stress. It's like, who, who's, who is in charge of that? That's what I want to know. So, okay, just a few more and then we'll get into Dura. Um, this was the Kloster Brewery in Weltenberg. And it was this the oldest brewery in Europe or Germany. I'm not sure, but it was the a brewery from allegedly 1050. And so um, Jennifer's mom brought us there and she's like, oh, they've got this old beer and it's like the oldest brewery in Germany. And so we're like, cool, we'll go and we'll have some schnitzel, of course. And so we went there and Jennifer and I looked over and there was this like church thing there. And we, we literally had about five minutes in this church. So we're like, so I got up, from, I didn't even like, you know, finish my food or whatever. I was like in the middle of food, you know, eating. And I just got up, I'm like, we got to go and check this out. And so this is what was inside this and it was just random we didn't even plan on going here and this is what i'm sorry for the it's you know i should have done the other way the portrait landscape kind of thing but you get it so but you can see this is what i'm like we had probably about five minutes in this place and the whole time we're just like because it's just unbelievable there's the eye of god looking down oldest convent brewery in the world, my wife says, and the architect, exactly, William Gensky. Everybody thank my web guy. He's an, he's an amazing man, and he helps us out a lot, and we couldn't do this without him. So anyway, so you saw that. Just just absolutely incredible. There, I mean, once again, there's really no words. So this was just a few of the shots of that place, you know, stone pillars and gold-plated everything, and in the the like centerpiece in there is you know this is where they were holding the church service right think about that and in the centerpiece there that's saint michael slaying the dragon and of course we've talked about the the dragon and draco and how basically there's a story in the stars and this story has been shared you know it's the it's the prisca theologia which, uh, which we'll talk about today which is basically this idea that you know god has given one um 
universal religious process to all of mankind, and he's written it everywhere. And one of the places that he's written it is in the stars. And so that's why you see the dragon themes every, you know, all over the world, China and Hinduism, and you go to, into Christianity and St. Michael and St. George, and then you go into the Native American stuff. You can go to Serpent Mound. You can go all over, and you'll find this general theme, this, this storyline of um, you know slaying the dragon. So uh, just pretty, you know, just incredible. You see the spiral, the the spiral pillars there, representing once again, uh, you know, your Ida and your Pingala. Of course, that's the Hindu terms. If you wanted the astrological terms, that's the, your Hydras and your Hydra up the center pole of the celestial sphere of the stars. The whole thing. If you haven't seen the astrology of the Book of Mark. Um, I highly recommend it. It basically is about an hour and 20 minutes and covers all of the astrology that we found, um, you know, not all of it, but an abbreviated version of all the astrology that we found in the book of Mark. And uh, pretty, pretty, uh, really, really proud of that documentary. So, by the way, next up, um, I think the next two Sunday sermons I'm going to do on the nature of evil and then let's talk about astrology. I think that's what we're going to do. And then I think we're going to start to uh, launch into the book of uh, Matthew. So first chapter of um, the, the New Testament. And so we'll go 1 to 28, just like we did with uh, just like with the book of Mark. And we'll go line by line, letter by letter, number by number, and we'll do it. Okay. So um, one more thing and then we will get into Mr. Albrecht. Okay, this was, oh, wrong one. This is the Schonerbrunnen. And it means beautiful fountain. And this was a fountain uh, that is a fountain, and it's still there in, and you can see the scale of it. There's a little girl right there, and she's actually up on some steps, on, and there's a fence there. And this is a big sort of fountain in, um, beautiful fountain, in the, the whole square area there in Nuremberg with a bunch of the cathedrals that we visited. So, and once again, it's all gold-leafed and, you know, just this absolutely, you know, majestic piece of metalwork, right? But I wanted to show you guys this. So on this, and you can't see it, I should have I got better pictures, but on the top there, basically what you have is, and I really want you to think about this, okay? When it comes to what we teach here and what I cover in, oh, let me grab this. And what I cover in the books here, okay? So on this fountain um, is, on the top you have the 12 um, tribes of Israel. So Dan and Ezekiel and whatever, right? All the 12 tribes of Israel. Right below that, you have the, the four apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, by those, you also have the four fixed signs of the zodiac. So you can see the lion and the, the eagle and et cetera, et cetera, and the bull. But then, so here you have the 12 tribes of Israel on this. Then you have the four apostles, right? And then below that, do you know what you have? Euclid, Pythagoras, Nicomachus. Um, I don't even know who this guy is, but it's a bunch of mathematicians. It's a bunch of mathematicians. Euclid right there has the square and compasses, as you can see, right? And he's, that, he's literally right below the four apostles. Okay, he's right there. In fact, in the back, the back of Pythagoras, there you can see the eagle. I'm pretty sure that's what the eagle is. Pythagoras, of course, has the harp. Of course, um, you know music. I mean, Pythagoras. I mean, obviously, one of the world's greatest mathematicians, uh, known for his study of music, the music of the spheres, that sort of thing. Basically, understanding that God has ordained the heavens and He did it in this musical, you know, musical fashion, if you will. 
Um, and then, yeah, so Nicomachus there, he's, you know, studying a text. And then, of course, I don't know who this is. I should have got that name, so I apologize. But he's got a sextant there, you know. So the, the important point is here is that whoever crafted this was, you know, did it with such an intention. And they're like, okay, these 12 tribes, very important. These four apostles, very important. And then who is fit to sit with the rest of these saints that were, you know, that are, that are expressed in the Bible? A bunch of mathematicians. Okay? And so uh, I just wanted to point that out because, you know, it's just, as we'll see with uh, Mr. Alric Durer's work, and I'm sorry, once again, I'm going to apologize every time I say his name. Um, we're going to see just how much um, he focused on mathematics as well and how, how absolutely interrelated that is to religious thought, okay? And your spiritual, you know, spiritual conquest, if you will. Um, this is, check this out, this is Cicero and Aristotle, who is also, of course, you know, these, you know, obviously a lot of these guys knew, you know, their stuff when it comes to math, but look at what they're doing right now. Look at Aristotle. What's he doing? He's pointing to his hand. Pointing to his hand. What's Cicero doing? He's pointing to his heart. Okay. So... What is two of the most common themes that you'll find when you stop on over to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ and when you read things like this? Ultimately talking about the love in your heart, morality, care, compassion, all of that sort of stuff. And what? You could say the alchemical hand of the mysteries. That basically when we talk about the mathematics, right, of the universe and how we are made in the image of God, right, we look to here and the mystery is revealed right, to, right in front of us. The numeric language of God is revealed right here. So, so just thought that was pretty interesting. So, okay, let's do it and let's talk about Albi. Okay, uh, and this guy is the shiznit. Let's, um, here, before we get into this, I'm going to show just a few pictures. So we went to the Albert Durer Museum, and which is his house, which was, or was his house. And it's got a bunch of the, you know, paintings and stuff like that, or reprints of the paintings. Um, and there's a big statue, and he's really heralded all over because he was a, an incredibly important figure in the Reformation. And the Reformation, you have to understand what was going on, you know, at least, you know, the artifacts that we could pick up from the historical narrative that were given, right? That the Reformation was basically people that, you know, was probably before the Reformation, which is, you know, essentially rebirth. It's a, Renaissance means rebirth, right? And that's essentially what was going on. There was a Renaissance of Christianity. And Albert Durer was a huge part of that, right? And of course, Martin Luther was as well. There's a lot of figures there. But um, what Martin Luther did was, and, you know, Albert Durer was falling in line with, you know, the Protestantism and just, there's, just in general, there's a big ass movement that was changing the face of Christianity. And what it was doing was taking the power away from the church. So the Roman, the, you know, the Catholic Church at the time was, you know, you know, basically just like it is now. It's corrupt as all get out. Except, you know, back in the day, they really had a lot of control. And so, I mean, they do now, but you, you get you get what I'm saying. And so, people were essentially rebelling against the church and and going on their own and saying, "Well, we can read the Bible ourselves. We don't need the the intermediary of the church to tell us what it all means." Now, we're gonna go in and we're gonna read it ourselves. The printing press was only created, you know, 50 years before that, so it was at a point where. People could read the Bible themselves, and they could have copies of the Bible. In fact, Martin Luther was allegedly um, uh, translated the German Bible, okay? 
So, you know, you have to really think about when people also, when people were leaving the Roman Catholic Church, you know, it's not like today where people don't, most people don't even think twice about their salvation. They don't think at all about trying to get to heaven. Well, back then it was, I mean, at least as far as we understand, it was a pretty prevalent thing in most people's heads. So to go against the church, what you were putting on the line for, for at least in most people's heads was your entire salvation. So this was a huge movement, you know, a huge thing that was was going on. And so, um, and Albert Durer was this artist, as we're going to see, that was just absolutely incredible and his print works and his his paintings and things like that and reprints of his paintings were sent all over and you know people had copies of these and it really helped change the face of christianity um we went into the his uh the this is the house this is his house and that's the museum and if you get a chance and you're in nuremberg and you go to the albert Durer museum make sure to go to the the um the uh the the gift shop that's right across the street but also go right to the corner there and there's this awesome restaurant and you can get a fantastic beer and they have really good brats. Side note, we went there like twice and it was so good. Anyway, um, so that's the that's his house. And then this is like I showed this last time, but this is what was in some of the things inside of his house. So if you see on the left there, there's your there's your Hydra, right? There's your multi-headed dragon beast kind of thing in the sky. And, of course, a, a main figure in um, Revelation. And then if you look to the right there, there's a big door. And in that door, in order to unlock the door, you literally have to put a key into the ram's horns. And, of course, we know what the ram is. So you see that on the right? And so we know what the ram is. And that's your and your Zodiac, man. That's your head. That's your ram. That's your lamb of God. That's the high point. That's the, you know, that's, you know, so it's like the key, in other words. So... Uh, just absolutely fantastic work. Um, so, <clears throat> early life of Durer. Durer. Um, born allegedly May 21st, 1471, the third child and second son of Albert Durer and Barbara Hopper, who married in and 1467, and they had 18 children together. They had two baseball teams. Their children could have played, it could have been like the Brewers and the Cubs, is that's how many kids they have. Like, my lord, that's a lot of children, right? That's like two a year. I know the math really doesn't work out there, but it's like something like that. So crazy, crazy. So, but so, and he was, yeah, a big family. And he ended up not, uh, he ended up marrying and not having any children. Um, his wife was named Agnes. And apparently there was times that they didn't get along. I think it was an arranged marriage as, as it happened back in the day. But, you know, I mean, this guy was, as you'll see, he was a next level art. He was an enlightened figure as far as I can tell. He was absolutely anointed. And, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight, uh, about how, you know, sometimes artists or people that are that intelligent, you know, it's... Um, that's what they need to do. They don't need to be wiping the asses of 18 children. They need to be wood carving. And, you know, it's like we need figures like that in our life, in in, in our world. And so I, he really played that role. So, you know, luckily for us, Albert Durer did not have children because he wouldn't have obviously been able to create the masterpieces that are still alive today if he had. So, um, so that's Durer. And so Durer did, Durer did, um, all sorts of things. He wrote books, watercolors, uh, pen and ink drawings, painting, printmaking, woodcuts. His woodcuts 
We didn't even, Jennifer and I were just watching some videos, uh, just a few videos last night about some of the pieces, and we didn't even know that some of these were woodcuts. And when you look at them as drawings, you're like, oh, that looks pretty cool. But then you find out that they're woodcuts. It's like, what? Like, what? Uh, unbelievable. Engraving, sketches. You know, when you do a woodcut, you have to understand that. Like, you get a piece of wood, you draw the thing, you reverse the image, and then you put it on your woodcut. I think this is how it works, anyway. And then you, you're you cutting away all the essentially negative space. And then you put the ink in and roll it. And, I mean, it's this an extremely elaborate process, you know, that takes patience that, I mean... I would never have in 50 lifetimes, you know? So uh, when you see these, just like, it's just incredible, just incredible. So this was his self-portrait at age 13. So that's what he was doing at age 13. I was still shitting my pants at 13, something like that, you know? Just, you know, you could see that this guy had um, a spark of genius in him, you know? And so self-portrait, pretty crazy, huh? Um, so some of the books, and this is really what I want to get into, uh, Durer, Albi, we'll call him, Albi, um, wrote four, uh, four books on measurement and it was called Instructions for Measuring with a Compass and Ruler. So when, you know, the compass ruler, ruler's of course a straight edge. So it's a compass, a compass and a straight, a straight edge. Just like when we saw here with, uh, where is it, this guy here? You saw uh, Euclid up there, and he's got the compass. He's got the, you know, it was like, oh, see, he must have been a mason. He must have been worshiping the devil or something. No, they understood universal archetypes. They understood geometry. They understood that mathematics was a language and that God has given this language, and it's it's for everybody. And that there's messages in those in that language, right? If you understand it and, and you know, and learn it. Um, so uh, he wrote a, a bunch, a, a couple different books, but um, the first book focuses on linear geometry. Um, you know, basically just a bunch of like <clears throat> Aristot like <clears throat> solids. I don't want to get too much into this, but polygons. Um, Durer favored uh, Ptolemy over Euclid, etc., etc. Um, <clears throat> he, what was I going to say? Yeah, he discussed the the five platonic solids as well as the seven Archimedean semi-regular solids, um, as well as several of his own inventions, which we'll we'll see the Durer's Albi's solid at the end of this when we go into Melancholia. And so, in other words, the guy was steeped in mathematics. Okay, he was a he was a genius. He was a, an artistic genius, absolutely. And one of the things that he heavily focused on was mathematics. And you'll also see that. He also helped, once again, um, spur the Reformation and really egg it on, if you will. So, in other words, there was no there was no conflict between his hyper study of geometry and measurement and proportion, his artistry, and his love for Christ. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> four books on the human proportion. Of course, so he took uh, apparently two, two to three hundred living persons in his own words, empirical observations. So all sorts of people with, you know, guts and bellies and thin people and, and servants and black people and white people and blah, 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 blah. And, he, and so he, and he looked at the proportions. And I actually downloaded a PDF of some of the sketches, like 160 of the sketches. And you go through and you can see that's exactly what he was, what he was doing. You know, in short, in short... 
he understood that man is made in the image of God. So if you want to understand God, just like the you know, just like the Gnostic, you know, Gnostic teachings say, know thyself. Look at look at thyself. You look at yourself and you recognize that you are a, a reflection of the entire thing. This is what the Zodiac Man is all about. The underlying message of the Zodiac is all about that. You are of the whole thing. You're a reflection of the whole thing. Okay. <clears throat> How are we doing here? Once again, there's just another sketch from his book. We love you, McNally's. Chenpru the pious, we love you. Happy Friday. Thank you, brother. So. Purple? What are you guys talking about? I'm purple? What did I do? Did I say something stupid? Was I rambling my mouth and then... Anyway. <laughs> Cool. All right. Okay. Sending love to all. My mom is sending love to all because she's got a wonderful heart. So um, there's proportions. So if you see the one on the right there, and um, during the time of, you know, he was living, apparently, allegedly anyway, he visited Da Vinci and Raphael. And, um, and of course, when you look at, you know, what's on the right there, you can you can kind of see he was doing the same stuff that this guy was doing, right? This is of course the Vitruvian Man by Da Vinci, high, you know one of the extremely famous sketch. Of course, what is that? That's your compasses and your square. That's your squaring the circle. That's recognize that man is you know is proportioned, is made in the image of God, and God has given us the tools to understand that proportionality. Um, so you know here's a you know a, an adept artist who was dedicated to Christianity and look what he was doing. Okay? Some I just want to show a few of these just to give you a, a little taste of what, you know, what he was doing. Looking at the proportions of the foot, that sort of thing. Ultimately, when you look at this sort of stuff, you know, and you look at, you know, especially Vitruvian man, you know, this kind of thing, what you're, what, you know, what, what we know uh, is that the human being is built off these mathematical uh, archetypes. They're universal mathematical archetypes, right? Being the circle and the square. And you can see, obviously, you know, one of the things that they completely understood was the, you know, the, what I call God's, you know, uh, design signature or one of his fingerprints of course if you will fingerprints get it see what i did there Ooh, pun um there you know so the proportion of the human body well there's the you know <laughs> um as we know the the pentagram actually encodes the ratio of phi and you find that all over your body we've talked about this numerous times i'm not going to you know be brief here but the cochlea of your ear the proportion of the human frame has got phi all over the thing you know phi once again is found in the pentagram we have the you know the five append or the five um extensions from the torso right per you know in this in this sense perfectly fitting the pentagram um, this is what they were recognizing. This was the knowledge system that they were coming back into. And they were obviously spreading this around the world, you know, and Da Vinci was doing it. And Albert Durer was doing it, not only in his paintings and you know, all the sort of stuff, which are highly occult, highly cryptic. There's so much stuff in there. We're barely even going to scratch the freaking surface today with this stuff. But not only that, he was writing books on proportions. He was, he was talking about the compasses and the straight edge, you know? And so this is what I mean when we talk about the when you when you talk about a true Gnostic tradition, you talk about the people that recognize these things. 
Okay, this is Genesis 1.1. This is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the circle and the square. In the beginning, God created squaring the circle. In the beginning, God created, you know, the, the, the perfect prototype. And that's us. And that's what, that's, that's what they're saying there. So, and this is what we teach, okay? This is what this kind of stuff is all about, okay? And I am a kindergartner compared to this, compared to what Rick Durer was doing, right? Like I said, while he was painting these intricate, you know, super tight lines and beautiful sketches of himself at age 13, I was, you know, just discovering boobs. So, um, so what do you think he's doing there? Looks like kind of like the flat plane of Earth and there's like the zenith and there's like the sun and the rays and, you know, something like that. Durer was, this is one of, the, one of those things that once again we talked about in the last live stream that Jennifer and I, when we went all over and, you know, with new eyes really looked at the, all of these, the paintings and the cathedrals and the statues and the, the wood carvings and the stonework and all this other stuff all over Europe. The, the zodiac's freaking everywhere, man. You, the, you know, it's like once you have the eyes to see, you're like, oh, there's Draco. Oh, there's Hydra. Oh, there's Cetus the Whale. Oh, there's Aries. Oh, there's Libra. Oh, there's the four fixed signs of the Zodiac again. All related, all related to Christian architecture. Architecture and, you know, churches. So here you have, um, you know, there's the Zodiac. You know, and I don't, I, I don't know if this is, this is in Alric Durer's museum, and I, I'm pretty sure these were both by Durer, but, you know, an elaborate, you know, really beautiful paintings of um, the Zodiac, just as we know it today. Same characters, hasn't changed one bit, right? There's Aratinus, there's your, you know, there's Hydra, there's, you know, you just go, there's Ursa Major, there's Leo, and there's Cancer the Crab, and there's the twins. It's all there. So, okay, so, how are we doing? Kerry Liberian, welcome. Javier, I'm looking forward to seeing you, Javier, at Flattoberfest, because I know you'll be there. So, uh, cool. All right, let's keep going. Where are we? Okay, so, and Dürer, Albi, did all sorts of different paintings, and that's what you'll see. And there's so many of these that were uh, Christian, right? Christian themes. We'll see. He did a whole book on the Book of Revelations, the, you know, the Apocalypse, and we'll go through like just a few of those, like ten or fifteen of those. But he also did like these, you know, watercolors of just rabbits and you know whatever like grasses and just just random stuff and then he would you know in the midst of this then he would have a dragon and then scenes from the bible so his his expanse and what he actually drew it wasn't like he was just staying in like i'm a christian artist or something he did all sorts of stuff and all excuse me all of them are just you know fantastic this is 1502 and that's his monogram at the bottom there the a d you'll see that on <clears throat> A lot of the, all of his paintings, most of them. Uh, there's the rhinoceros, which is another famous one. And apparently, at least the lore is that um, they found rhinoceroses, rhinoceri. How do you say that? Rhino means, of course, like rhinoplasty. It means your nose. And seros means horn, okay? So rhino basically means horn on your nose, right? Um, in the Bible, of course, they talk about unicorns. 
And so I guess the literalist Christians believe in unicorns. Or, or we could just go back to our zodiac and we could talk about monoceros. Monoceros is, the, is a constellation in the sky and mono, of course, means one and ceros means horn. And that constellation is a unicorn. So whenever you see, um, and I think it's only in the Old Testy is mentions of unicorn. Don't quote me on that. But you see mentions of unicorns in the Bible and people are like, what, do they actually believe in unicorns back in the day? No, no. Um, it's mythical figures above your head, just like the rest of that text. So so that's one of a, a really uh, famous one. Wasn't the rhino a wood carving? I think it, I think it was. The hippopotamus and the rhinoceros. Jen Brew the Pirate. <laughs> I'm the hip hopopotamus. My rhymes are bottomless. And then he stops. Hilarious. Um, okay, so this is, so I'm just going to go over because I'm going to get to melancholia and I don't want this to be a crazy, crazy long live stream. But um, <clears throat> do you believe in Sola Scriptura, Mart? Do you? Um, this is the holy. This is the holy trinity. It would be impossible for me to believe in sola scripture. That means. Do you know what guys? What sola scripture means? Basically, it just means that you, you the the, so, the Bible is the sole source. You just go to the Bible and that's it. Well, no, that we couldn't make correlations to the zodiac if we were just looking at sola scriptura because obviously, well, it's it's, it's termed the Maseroth in the Bible, but. You know, you don't have the, the the names of the constellations in the Bible. I mean, you have I mean, you have the Pleiades in the Bible. You have loose the bands of Orion. You know, you have some of the names of the stars, like we covered in um, the the Book of Astrology, um, the Book of Mark, the Astrology, the Book of Mark documentary. Um, some of the star names of you know Arcturus is in is in the Bible. They mention that, which is a which is a star in Boots. Bootes, and so there are mentions, but you know, you no, know, you don't hear of the 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 twins or the cancer or that sort of thing. So, so no, um, so there's that. Anyway, this is the Holy Trinity. Uh, once again, just absolutely fantastic. You can see the four winds at the bottom there. You know, blowing all four different directions. Of course, they're out these these. You know, this is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And of course, we know what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is. Not only does the 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 Gnostic understanding of this is completely alignment with how it's described in the Bible, how the Holy Trinity is described in the Bible. We've talked about all the different places we can find the Holy Trinity in the Bible. But it's found all over the world. So we talk about Prisca Theologia, right? I think that's how you say that. Prisca Theologia, which is like, I think Marsilio Ficino is the dude that was really famous for this idea. But basically, once again, that there's there's an uh, embedded in nature itself is, is, in, is a, you know, or embedded in the creation of the world that God has given us. We'll just say that. That there is a religious, natural religious process that is available to all people, Right. And this is why you find the Trinity all over the world. Where you find like and we've talked about it. We find it in Hinduism, we find it in the Norse stuff all day long. We find it in, you know, Egyptian Isis, Osiris, Horus. I've got I did a whole thing in here about all the different trinities that you find. Well, why? Because it represents 
in, in one aspect, in one of the main aspects, it represents time, past, present, and future. And yes, the past is, you have the creative preserver and then the destroyer. And people are like, well, you're saying the Holy Ghost is the destroyer? Oh, that means you must be evil or blah, 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 blah. And we've discussed the fact that no, the Holy Ghost is there to destroy all of the, uh, to break down, destroy, dissolve all of the nonsense, all of the lies, all the things that kept you from the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so the creative preserver, destroyer, creator is the father, the preserver is the preserver of our eternal lives, which is Christ, which is the eternal present. And then, of course, you have the Holy Ghost, which is the past. And we find this Trinity, now the term Trinity, sorry if I'm going a little bit too fast. The term Trinity itself isn't in the Bible, so people are like, well, Trinity's not in the Bible. That's crazy. The word zodiac isn't in the Bible either. The term zodiac is not in the Bible. That doesn't mean the zodiac isn't in the Bible, right? The term, you know, so, um, but the Trinity, we, we've even, we talked about it. It's like, um, that which is, which was, and which is to come. What is that? What's the Trinity? That which is Christ. That which was the Holy Ghost. That which is to come, the Father, Right? And then, of course, you have 1 John 5, 7. You have the end of Matthew, where it's very explicit that, you know, it's like, there's the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. You know, I don't think you can get more explicit than that. So it's crazy that there are some people out there that that argue that the Trinity is not in the Bible. It's like, do you, have you read the thing? Have you picked it up? Did you put your eyes to the letters? And do you absorb it? It's just crazy. So anyway, the Holy Trinity. Um, and I think this is a woodcut. That's a wood carving. I'm pretty sure that's a wood carving. If you drew that, I, once again, if you drew that, I'd be like, whoa, that's pretty awesome. Um, the harrowing of hell. So, of course, you have Adam and Eve. Um, and then there, you know, this is sort of the cast out of the garden kind of thing. And, you know, you can see there's this Albert Durer, Durer Albie's monogram is in the corner there. And then you see, uh, yeah, beautiful art. It's in Maseroth. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful art. Um, unbelievable, man. Um, in fact, uh, remind me I, Remind me to get my... I'll do it right now. Hold on. Hold on. One second. I bought a copy of what we'll look at today and we'll deconstruct some of this um, Melancholia and this is what we're going to talk about today I bought a copy of it just because it's so tasty it's tasty this is just absolutely incredible so so the harrowing of hell right there um, obviously Adam and Eve sort of figure and then this guy reaching down to hell and you know he's, he's pulling people up and there's these sort of beasts and the people on fire and you see this sort of dragon thing that's unbelievable imagination you know that's the other thing about you have to understand that how um uh holistic he was with his intelligence with his i mean really both sides of the brain like you know he was doing mathematical proportions on human beings and actually doing you know but then also this this highly creative side that really made these stories of the bible come to life in a truly you know i'll just say mythological way or mythical way if you if you will so this is the expulsion from paradise, of course. You know, there's the get out, out you two. 
and we'll talk about uh, Adam and Eve and uh, on the nature of evil uh, this Sunday. We'll be discussing Adam and Eve a bit and what that story is partially all about. We won't even get into the astrology part of it. So, um, the birth of the Virgin. So I'm just going to show a few of these. I don't want to go into every single one, but you know, look. I mean, just look at the this arch right there, right? And um, just the like the the intricacy of the you know the scroll work there or whatever it's like you know how long would it take somebody to do this how long would it take you to do just one of these you know how about this one what's going on here guys if you've been following along we know what's going on here right this guy he's studying the bible and you can see the look at um look at the proportions of the books there so and it maybe it's just a bigger book you know but it look, you know, as far as we understand, because you've got Christ on the cross in the corner there and INRI in the top there, and you've got this big book open and it's got the, the what is this thing called in the, where you, the page thing that you, in the Bible, I don't know what that thing's called. Um, but you can, you know, pretty much deduce that that's a, that's a Bible and it's, you know, physically bigger than the rest of the books there. You see that? And what's he doing? He's pointing to a skull. And then he's like this. Look what he's doing. This is St. Jerome. And of course, he's an old bearded man. He looks very Santa Claus-ish, you know, um, likes cookies and milk. But what's he, what's he doing? What's he talking about? And the, you don't, he's not, there's no words on this painting at all. And what, what are you saying? Oh, Golgotha. You mean where Christ is crucified in you, right? So, what's, thank you, Mr. Minor. Thank you, Mr. Minor. Thank you, Mr. Minor. Um, all right. Are you asking me if, uh, if I answered the question of sola scriptura? I did, just so you know. So, I don't know what, I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And sure, the answer was no, exactly. It's uh, it must be one of them uh, ortho bros over there. <laughs> I think you're on the wrong channel. Go to the crucible or something like that and debate your philosophy while, while we actually learn about the Bible. Um, so here we got this is uh, Saint Jerome in the wilderness, and there's uh, what's the wilderness? What do we understand the wilderness in, in the, the context of the Bible? The wilderness is a place uninhabited by human beings, right. The wilderness is basically this idea where no human beings are. Well, where is that? Okay, if you, you know, if you once again follow along, watch the documentary, that sort of thing, we're talking about the stars in the sky. The place where no human beings have been. No, there isn't a car that, that freaking Elon Musk, you know, flew up there and there isn't a rover on Mars. And no, we didn't have 14 trips to the moon with people landing on driving little dune buggies. You know, just as the Bible talks about is, you know, this, that is the metaphysical realms. It's the place where no human being in the flesh vehicle has ever been. Okay, so this is St. Jerome in the wilderness. And where is he? What's behind him? Leo, the lion. What's he, what's, he's doing this. What's, what's that a reference to? His heart. And what's Leo? The heart. So, there's that. <clears throat> This is St. Jerome in his study. Let me blow this up a little bit. So I know it's kind of hard to see. I apologize, but let's blow this up just a little bit here. 
Okay, what do we see here? So he's got the halo behind his head, which basically, which means what? Right, he's he's there, he's he's in his study. What, what, what is he studying? Probably the Bible, right? Right, he's, you know, he's trying to learn about God. What's right above his head there? That's the, the hourglass. What does the hourglass represent? Ultimately, the one of the spiritual conquests here is that our elevation out of time into eternal life. When you get into eternal life through Christ, that's the that's your what's eternality, which means you're not dictated by the past, the present, and the future. The past and the present and the future ultimately become one. And this is what the Holy Trinity is all about: three becoming one, three becoming one, three becoming one. Who wants to keep you in time? That's Drake. That's Draco. That's the devil. That's the old serpent, the devil, that's trying to keep you out of that eternal presence. Of Christ. Okay? So there's St. Jerome and he's in his study and he's got the hourglass right above his head. So then he's got Christ right on his, his table there. He's got the, you know, which is what the, it's all about, death and resurrection. That's what the whole spiritual quest is all about for you. Um, then to the left there, he's he was obviously a Satanist and so he had a skull. No. What does the skull represent? Of course, once again, Golgotha. That's where the, the energy rises all the way up to the top, and that's the ram. That's the lamb. Everything that we have been talking about when we've been when going line by line in that Bible and looking at the stories of Cain and Abel and, you know, all the stuff that we, we've covered and, and we'll cover, of course, more in Matthew, but everything we've done in Luke, all the stuff we, you know, talk about with the Zodiac Man, this is all congruent. There's literally, it's basically just an artist, you know, being a badass artist and, you know, um, relaying the same level of information in the way that artists do, cryptically. Cryptically. It's all cryptic. What do you got there? Uh, as far as I could tell, that looks like, a, I think that's a dog on the left there. But then what's, you know, did St. Jerome literally have a lion in his study? <laughs> did St. Jerome... Was he studying the Bible and then there was a hungry lion there? What is that obviously a reference to? The heart. Look how big the heart, look how big St. Jerome's heart is too, if you will. Okay? The Albert, there's the monogram right there on the right there. So, so this is St. Christopher and the story, and this is, so there, St. Christopher is, that's Jesus on his back. Right, and the story of Saint Christopher is this: is the story of um, he basically carried or bear, bore, if you will, or whatever, um, Christ, and he crossed this river. Okay, and this is the story of Saint Christopher, and so this is a illustration of him. You can see he's crossing the river. You've got the AD right there. You got Albie's monogram. He's got a big staff. What is the staff, guys? When you when you talk about a staff, a shepherd's crook, a wand, anything like that, it's a representation of your uprightness, right? The the, the, the Native Americans called it the two-leggeds and the four-leggeds, right? That kind of thing. But it's a representation of your spinal column, okay? He's got Christ on his spinal column, on his back here, right? And he's carrying him across this river. And this is the myth of the Lord that's related to St. Christopher. And then, of course, look what's right behind Christ. Christ's head. It's the vibrant light that's shining out to say, hey, this guy's anointed, enlightened. This is a, you know, that sort of thing. So now I just posted this on YouTube in the telegrams. And um, now St. Christopher was sometimes shown in orthodoxy to have a dog's head. 
and there's several illustrations. I've just got the one here, but you can just look it up online if you don't believe me. And the 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 lore, um, and as far as I was told by several Orthodox people, they literally believe this to be true. Now I'm not going to make that statement. I don't know, but. Why does St. Christopher have a dog head? Now, why does St. The better question is, why does St. Christopher sometimes have a dog head and sometimes not have a dog head? What? Okay. So the Orthodox icon of St. Christopher presents him as a synocephalus, I think is how you say that, and as a dog-headed man. And it's this, you know, this character that's basically a merging of man and in animal kind of thing, right? That's what a synocephalus is, right? Dog-headed. So what's going on here? Okay, well, I made the point that saying that, so here you have St. Christopher, and this is, you know, your artist, you know, this is Albie, and that's, I, that's a woodcut. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a woodcut. Now, get the, what? Look at the line work. If you screw up one line, that thing's done, dude. That's, it's just like, you know, when you look at wood, little side note here. When you look at, like, woodcuts, and you look at, um, um, you know, like Michelangelo's David or whatever. When you when you do, you know, you're crafting a, a, a stone statue. You're taking stuff away to to reveal, you know, what's you know the artistry that's in the wood or in the stone or whatever. One slip, it's not like you have a, a eraser. It's not like you can take the white out and be like, oh, I screwed up here. No. So think about the in the the intention and the time that it would take to do something like that. It's just, anyway. So, St. Christopher, who sometimes had a dog head, and in Orthodox he had a dog head, and yes, we'll get into the dog star. So he represents, of course, these are all representations of the, the stars above, the story, the scripture and the stars. So here you have St. Christopher and he's got Christ and he's carrying him across the water. So when he has a dog head, and of course that's the constellation Canis, major who Sirius is and you can see Sirius like probably right here right I actually when I look out my window every night pretty much every night I wake up I can see Orion Orion the three belts of Orion basically point to Sirius right and I'll show this in just a second as well and so why this is important is so you have Sirius which is the brightest star in the sky and that's the the eye or the head of Canis major the dog Okay, then you have these three, and we'll go over this again when we do uh, the book of Matthew. And of course, you know, there's been, by the way, Zeitgeist has pointed this out, but there's been tons of other authors before whatever his name is. Who's it? Jo Joseph, Robert, Joseph, Joseph, something, whatever that guy's name is. Before he made his little Zeitgeist movie, there's been tons and tons and tons of authors that have made these connections. So it's not like it's like, oh, he's doing the Zeitgeist thing. No, it's called a tradition of people that understood that the Bible was astrological. So, so these three stars, and I'm putting four, three stars in Orion's belt generally point to Sirius, okay? And it's at the time of the year, that's why we can see Orion right now. It's the time of the year when um, you see Orion and it's pointing to the birth of the sun in December. Okay, so so in other words, Sirius is representing St. Christopher. And St. Christopher is carrying Jesus, right, across the water. Now, not only is this the waters above, right, but also, um, let's look at this. So here's your star map. 
So there's Orion, there's this three, and of course those three stars represent the, the gifts that the Magi brought, the frankincense, gold, and myrrh. These are the gifts that were brought for Jesus when he was born in December, when all of this stuff is happening in the sky, pointing to Sirius, which is St. Christopher the dog star. And what's right there? Well, Eratinus is the, the big river that goes south, heads south into the constellations. And that's St. Christopher carrying Jesus across the river. The river Eratinus starts at basically Orion's foot. So, if we are to take this literally, I guess this St. Christopher dude had a dog head and he literally carried Jesus Christ atop his back across the river. Or, maybe there's a better explanation. Maybe there's a more reasonable explanation. Maybe there's a more rational explanation. Maybe there's an explanation that's Prisca Theologia, that's available to all people, in other words. It's right there. It's actually right there. Um, by the way, when, so this is announcing, so does everybody get that? So this is announcing, uh, woodcutting work like that is breathtaking. I whittle and woodwork a bit and it will take me the rest of my life to get this good. I think you will never even get that good. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's obviously gifted by God. He was, you know, and no offense. I hope you try to get that good, but. Um, so this is, this is announcing the birth of the sun. That's what's going on here, right? So this is announcing the birth of the sun. And of course, we're talking about Christ being in one symbolic manifestation, representation of the sun. He's actually a representation of the whole canopy of the stars. And, and we can go into all of that. We have beyond all that. So there's your gifts. There's your Sirius, your dog star. There's your, you know, but this is all happening at December 25th. And what's that? That's when the sun goes down, 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 down. It, you know, days get less and less and less and less and less. All of a sudden, all oh, the sun's going to die. And then what happens on December 25th? That's when the days start getting longer again. So it's a representation of the birth of the year. Well, when this happens, King Herod says this in Matthew. It says, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, Sirius, and are come to worship him. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and to come to worship him. The very words out of, out of uh, King Herod's mouth to announce the sun, the birth of the sun, is 365. So there's your, there's your river. There's your St. Christopher. There's your dog-headed saint. There's your three gifts the Magi brought. And then there's Albie doing some crazy woodcutting. This is another really famous one, the Praying Hands. We actually got this one. Hold on. We bought this at the, the gift shop there because it's, you know, the hands. And of course, we talk about the hands. Once again, when we saw Cicero, he's like, this, hey, check it out, this sort of thing. That's the 10 emanations of God right there in Kabbalah. That's, you know, we, we've talked about this. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 in English Gematria equals 180. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 equals 180. We can go into French and find 180. We can find 365. We can go to Spanish and find 180 and 364. Um, so, and all of those based on, 
zero through nine or one through ten in gamatria and so you know this this notion when you put your hands together to pray it's like there's so much more going on there than this than just kind of thing you know and no it's not just all about math but the fact is is there's a bunch of math there too because that's what those digits are fingers are literally from the word digit digitus so um how about this one christ among the ruffians so the ruffians you guys i i call the the practicers of followers of judaism i call them ruffians because it's base it's uh after the the main myth of masonry and the main myth of masonry is um where um king um uh, the builder of uh, the architect of solomon's temple hiram abiff was killed by three ruffians. They're the three ruffians. So the architect of Solomon's temple, and of course Solomon's temple is an allegory for the building of your spiritual temple. And this Hiram Abif guy was killed by three ruffians, and their names were Jubela, Jubilo, and Jubilum, and collectively they were known as the Jews. So, anywho. So, this is Christ amongst the doctors. And as you can see, um, just by the, you know, the rhinos there and that sort of thing. And, of course, he's got a, he's got the, uh, I forget what that hat is called. But it, there are a bunch of followers of Judaism. There are a bunch of ruffians there. And Christ is surrounded by these ruffians. And this is called Christ amongst the doctors. And they're all looking in the Bible. They're all like, they're, they're like in the Bible and they're like this. <laughs> just, just as the ruffians do. They're always like, it's all in here, it's all in the good book, and here we are, right, kind of thing, right? <laughs> oh, you can borrow this book at 11% interest, that kind of shit. So he's surrounded by all of them scum of the earth, and they're, they're doctors, apparently they're trying to poison him or something, I don't know. Maybe they've got the new Johnson & Johnson, you know, VAXX that they want to be like, hey, you should totally get your booster, Christ. Um, and so there's that. So that was Durer basically, you know, calling out the same sort of people that Martin Luther called out. Now, Jennifer noticed that it's like, Christ looks very effeminate there, doesn't he? Almost as if Christ is an androgynine, androgynous figure, emerging of the male and female, right? And we'll get into that again when we move on. But what is Christ doing? So while all these Jews are like, oh no, it's in it's in the book here. You gotta here, and then this guy appears just like, oh, I don't know what's he talking about. It's it's not in here and that kind of thing. And what's Christ doing? What's Jesus doing? Well, he's he's counting on his fingers. He's counting on his fingers. This is the coat of arms, and he did a couple, um, Albie did a couple uh, different coats of arms, but um, I'm dying. Don't die, Mark Brotherson. Be reborn. <sighs> Why do you think that's Christ? Because it's literally called Christ Amongst the Doctors. That's the name of the, that's the, <laughs> that's the name of the, the, the painting. Grabblers, yes. <sighs> so... Uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah, how does that redhead lady look like me and it's Christ? Yeah, exactly, we'll talk about, well, the androgynine is, and we'll actually talk about this, 
I don't know, we've talked about it so many different times, we'll cover it here as well, because melancholia. Basically, when you talk about the androgynine, it's, it's the merging of all opposites. It's basically bringing everything back to oneness. That's what, that's what it is. This idea has been perverted in our modern day world. It's based, and this is exactly what Satanists do. They take spiritual, and I've been talking about this for, and we'll talk about it when we do the, on the nature of evil this Sunday. This is what Satanists do. They take spiritual, divine, sacred information, pathways to God, and they go, whoop, we're going to twist that, baby. We're going to invert that. That's just what they do. So we'll get into more of that as we move on. But, um, uh, there. So here is the coat of arms. And what do you, what do you see here? Okay. So that right there is a helmet. Whenever you see a helmet, that's a reference, especially in, in Christian iconography, right? Especially with Durr. I look like I'm about to, um, <clears throat> deliver you some newspapers or something, don't I? Anyway, um, whenever you see the, the helmet, that's your helmet of salvation, right? The sword of the spirits is the word of God and the, you know, the, the feet fitted with the gospel of peace and the, you know, the, all the belt of this and blah, 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 blah. That's your helmet of salvation. And of course, why is it salvation on your helmet? Well, what do you, you put your helmet on your head and what's your head? It's your ram, it's your lamb, right? Then right below that, he's got the shield. And what's on the shield? It's a lion, and what do you put a lie when you put your shield up? You have your sword of your spirit, right? Which is the word of God. And then you have your shield up and you're like, ah, this. And what's your shield covering? Well, your I mean your whole torso, your frame here, but ultimately your heart. So you've got your helmet of salvation, you've got your shield, which is covering your heart, and what's on top of the 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 helmet of salvation there? It's a rooster. What's a rooster do? Announces the sun. The rising of the sun. And it's on top of the helmet of salvation. And where does that sun rise? In you. It goes all the way up. Bloop. Right there. So, yes. So, how about this one? Oh, okay, I just want to show you this. Then I, I will, we'll get moving here. We're already kind of like an hour and ten. but Okay, just I want to show you this. This is a woodcut. <laughs> this is a woodcut. As far as I know, this is a woodcut anyway. So here's this, um, this is called the night, death, and the devil. Um, so there's that. So the night, death, and the devil. And so here's this knight and he's, of course, he's got the six pieces of armor got on. Right, that's this. It's the whole idea. Whenever you see a a knight that's related to, um, you know, once again, Christian art, art, and that sort of thing, that's what it's a reference to. Okay, this guy, he's out and he's searching for salvation, and he's on his horse and he's, you know, he's riding his stallion, and of course, there's a big castle in the background, and you know, this whole notion, he's trying to get to the castle, he's trying to get to the the golden palace, if you will. He's surrounded by, look at these gangly, freaking demonic creatures that he's surrounded by. Like, look at the guy on the left. He's got, like, snakes that are coming right, like, snakes coming out of his head. And he's like, <laughs> right? And then the guy on the right there it looks like some sort of, like, goat sort of figurine with, like, you know, and, uh, just really nasty. And, of course, this is the devil trying to tempt him away from his path to, the, to home. Back to, the, you know, the loving arms of God. And so here's the devil in the back. And he, what is he holding up, guys? He's holding up an hourglass. He's holding up an hourglass. 
Now, what have we been talking about when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to what the the role of the uh, serpent is? The, that's the old serpent, the devil, Draco. What is the role? What is the role of Father Time? That's the thing that's trying to keep you strapped and locked into the material realm. That's trying to keep you, your divine spark, the Christos within you, trying to keep that in the human body as, a, as opposed to, you know, uh, the pathway, the, the way, the truth, and the life, the path of Christ, up and out and back into unity with God. Okay, so the whole point, um, the devil's greatest, you know, his role here in that sense is to try to keep you locked and strapped in the material realm so you do not get back to heaven. So in this, and this is why he's called Father Time. Okay, and that's exactly what you have right there. There's that, you know, freaking absolutely demonic creature and he's got the hourglass. He's like, ah, follow me. And of course, even Jesus was tempted by the devil, right? Jesus was brought up to a high place where he could see all the kingdoms of earth, right? And he was tempted three different times. He's like, oh, if you just do this, then I'll give you all this stuff. He was trying to keep Jesus in time. That's what the whole, you know, the whole um, meaning of that story is. Okay, so just, I, I, once again, I'm pretty sure this is a woodcut. <laughs> it's just, what the, what, what, there's a skull at the bottom there, of course. Right, there's uh, Albie, 1513, I guess. So, just an absolute masterpiece. And then um, we have this, uh, this is, oh no, this is a, uh, this is a this is a pile of dog shit. Is what this is. This is made by Jim Bob. So this is art that looks like something I did in sixth grade, and this is what passes for art nowadays. This is, this is Albi, Abdurra, and this is a pile of dog shit. So I just wanted a little compare and contrast today, just to see just to see where we are in the great wheel of time. <laughs> anyway, so here's Christ bearing of the cross. All right, I'm just going to go over a, a bunch of these really quick um, now because I want to get onto melancholia because there's a lot to cover there. So here's um, he did a whole uh, sketch book of, and I think these are sketches. I don't I don't know if they're wood carvings or not. You can double check that. But um, <clears throat> so this is the apocalypse. And so here's just a bunch of sketches. This is the martyrdom of, of St. John, right? He's, you know, basically they're, they're boiling him there and everybody's looking on. It's like, oh, he's, he had the word of God. He had, he was, he, it was a sign that was signified by John, by God himself. Kill him, burn him, put him on a cross. He's too good. <laughs> so here's um, St. John's vision of the seven candlesticks. Why seven? Why seven? It's on your hands. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. And fourteen times two is twenty-eight. And twenty-eight is the seventh triangular number. Or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven is right on your hands. It's on your feet too. It's your phalanges. It's right in front of you. It's the only part of your body that has um, the, you know, all of the uh, segmented like this, where it's like, you know, numerous segment, segmentations. Is that a word? Uh, numerous segments. Why? God wanted you to count them. So St. John 
was look one of the the revelation that St. John was having, he was looking up at the sky and he was seeing all of this go on. He was seeing, oh, there's Hydra, the seven-headed beast, and here's the, you know, the woman with 12 stars on her head and the and a moon at her feet. Well, how could she have 12 stars on her head and a moon at her feet? Must be a figure in the heavens. And then he was looking down and seeing, oh, the seven, you know, how many times seven is mentioned? I think it's in the book of Revelation, seven is mentioned 54 times or something like that. You know, so St. John was, a great revealing was, was being given to St. John, right? It was being a gift. It was, he was being, you know, it's like God is like, I'm going to beam this down to you. And one of the, th- one of the great revelations he had was on the number seven. In other words, St. John kneeling before Christ. Um, I, so um, this, oh, here, let's look at this. I just want to show this at the top here. You see the seven candlesticks? You see that? How are they situated? Well, they're situated just as we talk about. One, two, three, four, five, resting on, uh, one, two, three, or one, two, three, four, five, six, resting on seven. Okay. So there's that. And that that motif was, uh, like I was saying, Jennifer and I saw all over Europe or all over Germany. It was like, you know, we'd have th- three candles on the left and three on the right, and then there'd be one in the center. Uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These are all, um, once again, I think these are all wood carvings. There's another one, the opening of the fifth and sixth seal. And that's, look at this. It's the, the mount, the, the mountain, as we talked about the mount up into heavens and it goes up to the mount, the mount of olives, the mount of olives, the mount of olives. And that's where Jesus ascends into heaven. So here you have a great mountain. Of course, all those myths are like you have... Oh, what's his name? The guy that, oh my God, total brain fart. The guy that had, um, he was tied to a mountain and a, a eagle or whatever was picking out his rib or whatever, right? You have all of these, um, um, oh my God, total brain fart right now. <laughs> um, Andromeda, um, he was chained to the mountain, right? Well, that's the mountain of stars. It's a it's, it's metaphoric language to talk about the peak and the mountain of stars. And then, of course, so you have the Ark. I think that's the Ark of the Covenant up there. And that's, of course, a representation of the, the covenant, the agreement that we have with God. Of course, you have the, the sun and the moon on the left and the right. What is that? Well, that's what's, again, your merging of opposites. That's the recognition that the entire world is made of this duality. But that duality comes from one source, and that's God Almighty, and that's monotheism, and that's oneness. And that's what it's all about. Merging up to the top, going straight into the one source of God Almighty. That's what the Trinity is. So the Trinity is the same thing. It's merging all into a united oneness. And it's it's nuts that I've been talking about this for literally years and I've had a whole host of Orthodox people be like, oh, they believe in duality. What? It's like, have you not listened to anything that we presented in the last decade? Four angels holding back the winds. Um, adoration of the Lamb. I'm just going to go over some of these quick. You can you can look at it. Yeah, exactly oneness. We've all talked about the 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 notion that it's all returns back to the source, the Almighty. God, in the beginning, God, which is oneness, created heaven, the heaven and the earth. So the heaven and the earth, these separate things, right? Separate things mentioned in one verse, by the way, the first verse. The spirit, the matter, the ethereal, the material, the celestial, and the terrestrial, they come together. They are one in our experience. And they come from what? One God. 
adoration of the lamb. There's a lamb. Why a lamb? It's the head, right? Representation of the you know bursting sun too. It's got the the uh, if you can see this here. Let's let's go here. Let's look at that tetramorph again. Here's your tetramorph. Again, a representation of the zodiac, the four fixed signs. And the lamb is your first sign in your, in your, in the, of course, the zodiac. That's represent, once again, representation of the head. This guy's filling up of the blood of the lamb. Unbelievable. Um, sorry, I'll go over these. This is the opening of the seventh seal. And, and once again, sun and the moon on the left there. You know, we could just go into this days. I want to get to melancholia, though, because we're getting, it's already eight o'clock here, so. Um, this is, look at this, all these angels that are fighting off all these, these, you know, people down below there. It's a, this is the angel of, angels of death, you know. Um, here we go. Uh, St. John, uh, eating the book. St. John eating the book. Was, was St. John really, once again, was St. John, was, was he in the wilderness and was he, um, you know, dressed in camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey? Was St. John in the wilderness eating locusts? No, no. That's what it says in the Bible. What is it a reference to? Constellation Lacerta. What's the what's the, the honey that he was eating? The beehive. He was in the wilderness, which is the stars above. He had camel's hair, which is Camelopardalis. And he had a girdle of skin about his loins. What's the girdle of skin? It's Orion. The Bible is supposed to be difficult to read, but that said, it is meant to be read and understood, and you just need the keys in order to understand the deeper meanings of it. And as I will always say, and it's one of the biggest issues we have in our world today, modern Christians refuse the keys. They laugh at people that, that share the keys, and that's unfortunate. So um, there's John eating the book. What's, what's, you know, it's just like when you go to the Eucharist. Are you really eating the body and blood of Christ? Like the, that's, this was, what is the, what is the spiritual message in that? That you are taking in the sustenance of the eternal life. He's eating the book, meaning he's absorbing and consuming and understanding everything that's in the book. Woman of the Apocalypse, seven, there's, there's Hydra, who's the constellation Hydra. So the woman of the Apocalypse, you can see God on the top there. He's got the three rays going. He's got one up here and one here and one here. Of course, that's a representation of the Trinity. Um, there's the woman with the 12, 12 stars on her head and the moon at her feet. Once again, all representations of um, Zodiac. Uh, Saint Michael fighting the dragon. Saint Michael once again fighting the dragon. Boom. There's Mike. He's like, bitch, I gotcha. I gotcha, bitch. Look at this. Oh no. Dragon ain't got a ain't got a chance. Tread. Tread. Look at that. Draco. That's the dragon. That's the serpent of time. What are we doing? 79 watching. Ooh, ooh. Thank you, Marty and Jennifer. Mimi M, welcome. <sighs> uh, dun, dun, dun. I don't know to be addicted to the flesh and the flesh. 
Sorry. Hi, Marty. You must be up late. It's 11.45 in Australia. Ha, ha, ha. It's 8. I, bedtime is usually about a half hour. I'm, we're usually in bed by like 8.30. Though I was up late last night getting this ready, and I stayed up till 9.30. <laughs> such a... Um, such a wuss. Okay, uh, this is the Whore of Babylon. Uh, once again, I'm just going to go through these really quick here. Uh, Beast with the Lamb's Horns. Um, uh, yeah, I'll just go over. You can see, just look at this. There's, it's, there's the multi-headed serpent there. There's, you know, the beast with the lamb's horns. Which are the beasts? The beasts, the animals in the zodiac. And that's exactly where they are. They're in the heavens. All these things are like, you know, merging up and going to the heavens, that sort of thing. Um, angel key of the bottomless pit. Of course, who's in the bottomless pit? There's a dragon. What's at the south? As we know, the southern constellations. What's, what's at the south? What's at the north? Draco. What's at the south? Hydrus. Serpent. So, um, there's uh, Adam and Eve. So, look at that. I think that's a lamb right in the front there. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me. There's a, This is called a diptych. I think it's not instead of a triptych. It's a diptych, which is like basically, you know, two paintings put side by side. And it's Adam and Eve. And of course, there's, you know, Ad or Eve, you know, taking the apple from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, which we will talk about Sunday. Um, this is Nemesis. There's um, this guy. He's on the the you know, sphere sphere of creation, where he's he's carrying a, a cross, right? He's you know bearing bearing his cross, and he's got this. I don't know if you call that like a holy grail kind of thing in his arms up, and basically the the heavens are like you know almost like being ripped away like cloths or sheets. Just unbelievable. You actually see this this when you see this. Um, you'll see God, you'll see, you'll see, I mean, this and all sorts of different paintings made by a lot of these artists and, um, the, the amount of artists that were inspired by Albie's work were insane. We watched this one video last night, it was like a seven minute video and it was like all of these people that were basically trying to copy what he did because it was so influential. Um, you can see that the heavens are just kind of ripped away and you've got that sphere and he's standing on the sphere and the sphere you'll see is, is representation of, you know, the, the circle encapsulates the most amount of space, right? Geometrically in two dimensions, the circle encapsulates the most amount of space. So when you bring that circle out into three dimensions, it's a sphere, right? And the sphere then would encapsulate the most amount of volume over any other geometric form. So when you see the inherent qualities of the sphere, the sphere the, the sphere represents totality and wholeness and that sort of thing. It represents the world. It represents, you know, and so when you see like God has a sphere in his hand or you'll see Jesus with that sphere in his hand is, is this representation. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, representing the totality. And so, you know, this is what you'll see in the, you know, the world, the world card um, in the tarot. This is one of the representations. What do you have there? There's the four fixed signs of the zodiac: Ban uh, bull, eagle, or phoenix. Eagle. There's an eagle there. Uh, lion, bull, and then in the corner is supposed to be a man. But what is it? It's a schmetterling. It's a butterfly. If you caught last um, Sunday, we talked about why we saw the oral. This was in a Christian cathedral, and it was the Ouroboros. And on top of the Ouroboros was what? A butterfly. Why? Because what does the butterfly represent? Total transformation. Total transformation. And that's exactly what you're supposed to do in your spiritual quest. Total transformation of the self. So when you have this, you know, the, 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 
caterpillar, which is this slimy sort of thing that just crawls on the ground. It's kind of this, you know, whatever. And then it cocoons itself up. And next thing you know, it's a completely different thing, you know? And so in this representation of the fixed sides of the zodiac, man is represented as what? The Aquarius is represented as what? A butterfly. Total transformation. Um, this is a representation of the world. The world, um, this this idea basically is that you are just just like the anthropocosm of the zodiac man you are a representation of the whole thing when you go out into the sphere of the stars the sphere of the stars in this sense the zodiac that wraps around comes back to you and you are it's it's symbolic language to to say that you're represent you are made in the image of god is what it's saying that you in this in the sense you are the world and this is why they there's all this language in the bible that says christ is all and in all Christ is the gift of, you know, Christ within is the gift of the Gentiles. It's the hope of glory. All of that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, just a few more. Adoration of the Trinity. Look at that. Once again, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, always, rep always represented almost in the exact same way. The Holy Ghost is always that figure from above because that's the, the Holy Ghost is always this thing that comes from high which is once again this is um a constellation columba and there's the whole story of noah's ark and all that sort of stuff i don't want to get into that here but you have the holy ghost that de that delivers kabbalistically receiving when i say kabbalistically in this sense i mean receiving you receive the gifts from the holy ghost and that is what the gifts of what death the dying of the animal nature, the old ways, the, the, the times where you were deluded and full of shit and a lost little soul. And what does the Holy Ghost does? Comes in and wipes all that clean. And that's the, that's the gift. And that's the ultimately to bring you to Christ, right? So um, that's the whole thing there. Uh, let's get into melancholia here. So there's adoration of the Magi. Once again, the Magi, this is the three gifts that they brought. You know, um, and this is, I'll show you this once again. You can see I showed this last time, but you know, if you see this thing here, let's blow this up a little bit more. See that? This, this, this person here is, you know, and it's got white gloves on. So it's, you know, this notion that it's, you know, the purity, that sort of thing. Giving him a gift of, and there's the world. And on top of the world is, you can't see it, but it's a Ouroboros. It's a snake. It's Draco. Okay, so there's that. And then this is uh, Man of Sorrows. All right, if you guys still want to hang out, let's do, yeah, you are part of the absolute, exactly. You represent, you're a reflection of the absolute, exactly. Trinity encompasses the generative principle too. What tarot deck is that? I don't know, Kirk, that's a good question. So, um, what else do we got here? Uh, okay, yes, the microcosm. Yeah, microcosm reflects the macrocosm, of course. Uh, boom. There's that. Man of Sorrows. And so, speaking of Man, Man of Sorrows, let's talk about melancholia. Um, okay. And so, this is, once again, this is a, this is a painting that I got, uh, a print of melancholia and there's just so much going on here we're not even going to scratch the surface of this thing today okay i'm going to talk about a lot of stuff we're going to go through some math i know it's getting late 
but um, we're not even going to scratch the surface with this thing today. There's a lot of stuff in here that, you know, I, I probably could study this my entire life and not find all the things in there. But there are some things that I can show you to make the case as to why I think there's very specific things encoded in there and other researchers have um, come to some of the same conclusions. So... So first off, why? So if you you know you can kind of see this painting. It's this. It's an androgynous androgyn. I can never say that an androgynous figure. Basically, this representation of man and woman. Whenever you see any sort of figure, and you see it all all throughout alchemy, um, uh, you see this merging of um. Also, you see it in the double-headed eagle as well, right? The double-headed eagle has a. Um, head going this way, head going this way, representing opposites. In one in one sense, what is the double-headed eagle? It's two heads on one eagle, and this head's looking in the past, and this head's looking in the future, and they're merged onto one body, which is the eternal present of the now, right? So there's that. Um, but then you also have an alchemy. You have this idea: the rebus or the great work is the is the merging of these two. And it's there's just endless illustrations of this that you see in all sorts of works. Um, I've got a bunch on the shelf here that where you see a man and woman on a single body, and this is the androgyne. This is the alchemical marriage, the alchemical wedding. It's also it's also called the hieros gamos, right? The great work, exactly. Yes, val madness. Um, and so as an androgynine, there's uh, tools of carpentry there, tools, some um, masonry tools there. It looks like the one thing is you've got some um, uh, specific polygons there, like the sphere. And then that's it's what's called albi or duros, solid. And there's the, um, in the back there, you can see the hourglass, the bell. We've got the, uh, the we'll, and we'll talk a lot about this. That's called the magic square of Jupiter. We're going to talk about why it's the magic square of Jupiter. We're going to decode that. There's the ladder. You can see the rainbow in the back and melancholia. And then, of course, they say that that thing in the back is a shooting star. I kind of see that because I see that really as sort of a light shooting out as in like the one, you know, God said, let there be light. That's how I see that. But um, we'll we'll talk about that. So um, um, melancholy one is um, back in the day. They you know basically they talked about depression and and sickness and illness and stuff like that, and it was represented as melancholia. And it was this apparently from the treatise of German author Cornelius uh, Henry Cornelius Agrippa Agrippa. Who explored the realm of esoteric knowledge, including astrology, the occult, and magic, and divided melancholia into three levels. So there was level one, which is the lowest, governed by the imagination and pertained to artists. Level two controlled the reason of scientists and physicians. And level three governed the spirit or intuitive thought of theologians. So scientists, physicians, artists, and theologians, basically people that were really sort of um, their their work or their careers or their you know trajectory in life was to really investigate reality in this sort of sense, right? And they were plagued with melancholia, right? Uh, Ficino, which is once again, Marsilio Ficino was one of the guys that um, I think purported Prisca Theologia, which is once again, this notion that there's, there's one... Um, you know, God gave one theology and it's available to all people. And it's something that's really sort of like natural, you know, or, or just part of the creation itself, if you will. So, um, Ficino further related melancholia to Saturn, to Saturn. 
both the planet and the god. And even today, we might call a gloomy person Saturn, Saturnian or Saturnian. I think is how you say that. And so Ficino here was basically saying like, hey, melancholia is referring to Saturn. Now we know that Saturn is a representation of chronos, chronology, which is what? Father time. So uh, Lindsay Chapman, I got to run, Marty. Thank you. We love you. We love you. Lots and lots of love. Okay. Jessica Colorado, how's your back? How's the 32 and 33? How's the axis and the atlas? How's it going? I hope you're well. Everybody wish Jessica Colorado well because she just had some, uh, just had surgery and all of that stuff. And you're a moderator now, whether you like it or not. So that's melancholia. Okay. Um, basically this thing. And, and Ficino wrote that, um, you know, Durer drew his understanding of melancholia from the writings of Marsilio Ficino, a prominent Italian philosopher, a melancholic himself. Ficino saw both pulses, uh, pluses and minuses to the condition's tendency to stimulate thought and emotion. So just like, um, and we'll talk about this Sunday, just like there, you know, you need evil um, of the um, potentiality and that sort of thing or, 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 or um, presence of evil in the world to understand the good. And like in, in this sense, in just a plain way of saying this, you need the opposite to understand the other. You need the hot to understand the cold. You need the night to understand the day, right? That sort of thing. So, and this is a thing that's all over the beginning of Genesis, which we'll, once again, we'll talk about Sunday. Melancholia could drive one mad, yet it also produced the sensitivity required for creativity. Ficino wrote, all truly outstanding, outstanding men, whether distinguished in philosophy, in statecraft, in poetry, or in the arts, are melancholics, okay? And I can, I can attest to this a little bit. You know, I've dedicated my life to understanding theology and philosophy and, and you know, art, playing guitar and stuff like that. And I do know very much so that this is something that um, plagues a lot of artists is melancholia, depression, that sort of thing. Um, in fact, some of the greatest um, artists, I think, I'll say this, as far as like musicians are concerned, some of the greatest art and music that I love comes from pain. Like there were, um, Jennifer and I are going to go see uh, Ryan Adams, not Brian Adams, not Summer of 69, though Brian Adams is a fantastic songwriter, say what you will. But we're not going to see Brian Adams. We're going to go see Ryan Adams. And Ryan Adams is this uh, absolutely prolific singer-songwriter that's literally released like three records this year, which is just insane. Two of them, I think, were double records. Absolutely, you know, this guy just shits out melodies like, you know, just nobody's business. Fantastic songwriter. So many of his songs come from pain, come from depression. And, and artists have this way of sort of alchemizing that, you know, where they take this, the, the melancholia and they turn it around, they turn it into something beautiful. And so this is what Marsilio Ficino was talking about when he was saying that all artists are melancholics because they, we have the, you know, they have a tendency to that, you know. Um, so why are artists, philosophers, theologians, that sort of thing prone to melancholia? Well, number one, they're often misunderstood or often misrepresented, which is entirely infuriating. You know, it's in, you know, just like I've just been talking about lately about how many, you know, how, how long I've been online, how, tr how clear I've tried to be as far as the live streams. And then, you know, you get somebody like your, your Jim Bob that completely misrepresents everything you freaking say, tells thousands of people, they all, whoa, they all go T-Rex on it. And it's just ridiculous. And that can drive a guy to depression, you know? 
being uh, misunderstood is is you know it's just part of the part of the part of the deal kind of thing. You know, you often cannot connect to people because you're often misunderstood, or a lot of times people just don't understand what you're. I mean, you know, you just talk about subjects and topics, and and many of you probably have experienced this too. It's like you want to talk about a new world order, or like you know the manipulation of history, or you know flat Earth, or whatever it is, and you know people look at you like you're effing crazy, right? And clearly we're not, right? So um, you're considered crazy. And that's happened to me. I will just say that. I mean, uh, once again, like I've, since since doing this and writing books and stuff like that, I've lost just a whole spectrum of friends because I started talking about something that they couldn't handle. Oh, well, I don't think the earth is a ball anymore, whatever it is. And it's like, oh, that guy, he's crazy, whatever. no. You know, uh, these people are usually way ahead of the curve that doesn't exist. Um, also, they're in the material world and they have this constant yearning for God. Un they're unsatisfied with this world and, and that, that happens a lot. They're like, oh, they see the world and they, they, they dream of that, that um, eternal state, you know, that sort of thing. So this is what plagues, um, you know, great artists is, is melancholia. And so you shouldn't really be surprised if you find, uh, you know, um, a lot of artists that you know, you'll hear that, you know, they, they get into drugs to try to curb this or the alcohol or they, you know, they get depressed, you know, whatever it is. Um, suicide, that sort of thing happens to a lot of, a lot of great artists as well. So this is one of the things that the, the hermit card is actually talking about as well is basically this idea that it's, you know, a lot of times they go into themselves, they go into this contemplative, reflective state where they're just kind of, you just stand, you know, they've got the, they've got the light of truth. They've got the six pointed star. They know where, they know where Christ is up, down, left, right, forward, reverse six days and resting on a seventh. Just like we, just like we saw in those, those Durer, you know, the seven candlesticks, up, down, left, right, forward and reverse and then boom. There's one at the top. This is exactly how the cipher is created, by the way. So he's holding up that light that's shining, and he's he's got it, you know. And yet he's in this state of like almost like depression, you know. And he's he's hermetic. He's hermiting hermiting himself. He's you know essentially removing himself from society because he doesn't you know it doesn't fit in because people are normies kind of thing. So. Another thing I just want to mention, melancholia is is formed from the words, I'm going to make this quick, is formed from the words melania and then chloe, I think that's how you say that, and it means black bile. And it's a concept found throughout ancient medieval and pre-modern medicine in Europe until virology came around. They're like, oh no, there's these invisible bugs and they're floating around everywhere and then they get in you and you catch a bug and that sort of thing, right? And so these geniuses, Marcello Ficino, I don't know, what's that guy's name? Fucking Da Vinci, Durer, all of these guys, Ptolemy, all these guys that were absolute masters at their craft, all studied and believed in this. And now they're like, oh, they were all crazy. They had no idea what they were talking about. Apparently, they all believed in this thing called black bile. And it's, once again, it's found throughout ancient, medieval, and pre-modern medicine in Europe that describes a condition characterized by markedly depressed mood, bodily complaints, and sometimes hallucinations and delusions. And so there's this notion that, you know, some, you know, some people would cough up black bile, that sort of thing. Now, I have a little story for you about black bile. I have a friend who can't really say his name. I can't tell you where I know him or anything like that because he told me this in confidence and I really shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to anyway because he's not listening to this and you don't know who it is. So here we go. 
he was part of a um, Christian cult, if you will. And it really was a cult. I mean, like, basically his parents even recognized that it was a cult after they were out of it and stuff like that. But he said that there was a lot of really interesting things that also went on in this cult. And they had this sort of leader, and it turns out that he was actually, like, I think the the CIA or the whatever it was, F, whatever it was, I don't know, the what is it, tobacco and firearms, that ATF, that sort of thing. Basically, they busted him from, like, flying cocaine to and from Columbia or some shit. But anyway, he told me the story um, when we were having some cocktails one night. Jennifer was there. About how um, they would do these rituals in this sort of cult thing. And one of the rituals was that, and he didn't really tell me what it was. It was just sort of this thing where they said a bunch of like, I don't know, like speaking in tongues and chanting or stuff like that. And my friend was really sick. He was really, really sick. He had like, I think, lung issues and stuff like that, right? And so they did this to heal him. And once again, he was really sick. And after this whole ritual thing, he went to the bathroom and he said he coughed up this black shit, this black like bile or whatever. And after that, he was healthy. So, I don't know. It's just a story. He, this, my friend is not, I'll just say this. He's not one to lie about anything like that. There would be absolutely zero reason for him to tell me that in confidence and lie about it at all. Okay, zero reason to do that. He wasn't—he wasn't that kind of guy. He was—you know—he just wasn't. I'm just telling you. So, as far as I could tell, it was an absolutely true story, and I don't know what the heck that is, but it might give some credence and credibility to the whole notion of melancholia. As we know, our modern medicine is absolute dog shit. Okay, as we know. So, I think we should keep all options on the table when uh, when that's you know, as far as that's concerned. So, let's get into decoding this very very brief like so there's melancholia okay there's the picture so i'm just going to go over some of the um some of the pieces of this some of the main aspects of this okay sorry sorry okay so first off, what do you see there? Melancholia. There's a bat. That's there's a bat that's holding up the the thing. Well, what is the bat? It's number one. It's blind. <laughs> the, I mean, that's at least what we're as far as we understand. Bats are blind, but they're creatures of the night. They're creatures of the darkness. They're creatures of the ignorance. They're they're creatures of being lost. That's that's what you know. That's the symbolism of it. Go, you know, clearly. Okay. Right behind there, you have a single white light, okay? Well, whether that's a shooting star, I see that really as a single white light, which is, you know, of course, representative of um, God saying, let there be light, that all this comes from, like we talk about, one source, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that's God speaking light into creation. Right above that, you have the rainbow, of course, that's representative of, well, number one, I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, reflective, anyway, of the firmament, um, the, the dome above our heads. And of course, the rainbow is representative of what? The number seven, of course. What else is it reflective of? It's, it's a representative of the, um, well, in, in the Norse myth, it's the, it's the bridge between man and God, right? And then in the Bible, what do you have? Well, it's the, it's the covenant that God has made with, with, human, with human beings. It's the agreement, the covenant, okay? Um, and that's, I do set my bow in the clouds and it is to be a, for a covenant between man and God. It's, it's something like that. It's, it's in Genesis. Uh, I think it's in Genesis. 
So then you have, of course, the scales right there. What does the scales represent? Well, the scales represents balance. Ultimately, the you know it's it's no different than the the weighing of the heart ceremony or the scales of Libra. You know that's actually at the balance of the year. It's at the the equinox, which is at equal day and night. And that's ultimately that you are, you are here to be a balanced figure and that you will be weighed also you know just like in the weighing of the heart ceremony your heart's going to be weighed against a feather it's that whole notion that you will be you know you know what's what you do down here will be measured right um, um there's one body one spirit one hope of your calling one faith one hope one baptism and one father and god of all who's above all through all and within you all that kind of thing and then we'll be measured unto the gift of christ and that's Two Corinthians something, maybe, or something. Um, ladder, ladder up to the heavens. What does the, I mean, the, la, you know, I don't think I need to explain to you guys what the, the ladder represents. That's climbing the rungs of the ladder up to heaven. All right. Seven steps to that ladder. Seven steps to the ladder. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, actually, you can't see, can you? There's one down there. You see that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You can barely see. So, um, there's the magic square. We'll get to that in just a, a bit. There's the hourglass. Ultimately, what's the you know what are you here to do? You're uh, a soul that's that's uh, that's fallen from the great heights of the heaven. You're cast down into the material realm, put into material bodies. Ultimately, to what? To transcend time. To, and that's exactly, as we talk about, that's what the Trinity is all about. That's literally what the, the, the definitions of the words of the, the Trinity discuss. Sp Holy Ghost or Spirit. Spirit and Ghost is what? It's, a, it's an ethereal being in the realms of the dead. What is the creator? Well, it's the thing that creates things, right? What's the preserver? What's Christ? He's the preserver of our, of our um, eternal life. So the hourglass is representative of time. The bell is just representative, of course, um, but, you know, basically when you the ring the bell, what is that? Well, it's, you know, church. You know, it's like going, going to church. It's basically the, the notion. It's like, hey, it's it's time to go and focus on my salvation, focus on God, that sort of thing. And you can even see there's the 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 bell is it's the the ringer of the bell is going outside of the canvas, which is basically what it's like. Oh, who's ringing that bell? Well, it's the notion that's, you know, God, right? The unseen in this sense. Um, we'll talk about that big solid piece there. There's a puto, which is, um, you know, right next to this androgynine there, this androgynous figure. And that's really what it is. It's sort of this man, woman figure with, of course, wings, right? And the, you know, he, she is in this state of melancholia. Why? Because trying to figure out the world is, is trying to, you know, in this sense, solve the riddles of, of why he's here. What, what, you know, why God, why did you make creation? What's the purpose of it? What am I doing here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's my path? Right. And once again, the true artist, you know, that, that brings on melancholia, that brings on to depression to a lot of people. To the right of it is that puto, which is the, which is, uh, a puto is like an um, angel, and usually it's a, a male child, right, and w with wings. And you'll see this all, we, I showed pictures of this all over um, in the, the last live stream. But, um, you know, what, what does that figure up? Well, it's like the return to this, um, once again, state of wonder, state of purity, right? And that's, that's this notion that it's like, what are children? That they're, they're, they're virgin, they're pure, they're in this state of all, this constant wonderment and that sort of thing, right? 
And so there's that. Um, if you look in the very left there, there's a crucible. So here, the crucible, what is that? That's alchemical, you know, that's an, that's an alchemical, uh, you know, um, what am I trying to say? An alchemical figure or, um, you know, reference there, I guess I'll, I guess I'll say. The crucible, it's, you know, what the, the alchemist does his work in the crucible. Um, so here we have a, you know, this is a Christian artist and obviously has zero issue with, <laughs> uh, you know, alchemical imagery. And the androgynine is once again in an alchemical figure as well. There's the magic square on the top. Sorry, I forgot. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. We'll get to that in just a second. In front of him is the millstone. And then there's the dog there. Um, I'll just say this. The millstone. A millstone is what? It's either uh, of two circular stones used for grinding something, such as grain, something that grinds or crushes, or it's a heavy burden. So this is, once again, a, a play on the definitions, a play on words there. Um, you know, it, life it could be a heavy burden. Figuring out, figuring out your salvation and working towards salvation and, and you know, the, the faith that requires that sort of thing can be a heavy burden. Um, the dog is actually a greyhound. And he actually, he has, a, I think, a bunch of greyhounds in his, in his paintings. But what's a greyhound? A greyhound is intelligent, gentle, with a quiet disposition. It's very, very uh, hermetic, if you will, right? So not only is the Greyhound super fast, which is when you think about this is like as far as um, mental cognition and, you know, the rate of thinking and stuff like that, being quick and, you know, making connections, that sort of stuff. Also combined with this intelligent, gentle and quiet disposition. So um, there's the Greyhound there. So even the dog is, is there's a lot of symbolism there. Um, you know, there's the keys. We've talked about the keys to scripture, the keys, you know, on the right there. Um, then he's got, you know, up there, he's got the hammer on the left and then he's got the plane. He's got the saw. He's got the straight edge. He's got the nails. And then up here, he's got the compass, right? Well, these are your, you know, workman's tools of the, the trade, the craft. In other words, this guy is this melancholic here is using everything at his disposal, right? Art and, and construction and, and uh, of course, the, the geometric polygons and stuff like that to figure out his lot in life. He's using everything he can at his disposal, right? Not only that, but you also have the compass and then which is um, which he has in his hand. And that's, you know, of course, you know, in this sense, it's pointing up to heaven. And then down below is right below it is the straight edge. Once again, that's a reference to the same thing that we talked about before with, um, you know, Euclid having the compasses and straight edge. Um, Durer himself, you know, making a book about the compass and the ruler. You know, this is what we, when we talk about all the, mis all the things that are misconstrued about Freemasonry, this is one of the things that the Masonic, you know, Masonic literature and authors will point to you is that this is the compasses and the straight edge. So it's got, you know, all of that there, okay? So, oh, and in the corner there, there's the clyster. A clyster is, is um, it, let's just say it's a, it cleans your system out, right? So it's, um, oh, what's the word for it? My God, I'm having brain farts tonight. Speaking of cleaning your system out. Um, uh, what's it called where you, oh my God, why am I, um, why, Jesus Christ is here. Hey, Jesus, nice, nice, nice for you to show up. <laughs> so you're always here. Um, what's it? What's it called? Oh my God, baby, 
what's it called when you're cleaning your system out? Um, you put the, the oh my god, colonic. Colonic. Thank you. <laughs> my lord. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Jennifer's got to take the dogs out. So that's called a clyster right there. And that's like a clonic. It basically like cleans your system out. Well, what's the symbolism there, right? You you know, it's no different than the rough ashlar stone to the perfected ashlar stone. You got this rough stone and you got to clean it up. You got to take all those rough edges out and you got to make it the perfect stone. Okay? So all of that in here, you know. So uh, the work, you know, the workman's tools of the trade, of the craft, the craft of what? Alchemy soul basically you know bringing the soul back to god so all of that stuff in here the hourglass the rainbow the bat the seven steps of the ladder the seven colors of the rainbow the single white light the scales the balance right the bell ringing out from from you know of god you know the androgynine with the you know the wings up to heaven the compasses and the straight edge right all of that stuff there so now let's talk about. I'm not even going to mention the sphere, right? I mean, I don't. I don't. We already talked about what this, what the sphere represents, of course, totality, and that's like it's kind of just sitting there, almost kind of by itself, um, if you will. In you know, it's very prominent in the picture. But um, so let's talk about this figure, this geometric figure on the left here, and then we'll go into the magic square. So. <clears throat> This solid is known, it's called Durer solid, and it's known as the truncated triangular trapezohedron. Don't make me say that again. It's this eight-faced solid depicted in the engraving. And, and that's, this is an engraving, so it's a woodcut. So, um, and basically it's, it's, it's this guy from this um, art, I think historian or whatever, noted that it's uh, basically a distorted cube, okay? And it actually gives you specific, and so you can kind of see there, that's, they just, this is from Wolfram Alpha Math World or whatever, but they're basically showing like one of the ways that you can kind of construct this, right? And so it's, it's like a cube and they truncated the side and, and that sort of thing. But this solid actually has specific degrees, okay? And all of these degrees actually are, you know, really uh, prominent within sacred geometrical study, gematria, that sort of thing. Um, the degrees are 72, 108, and 126. And we'll, I'm just going to briefly go over these, but the, one, the key one is 126 there. So um, 72 is obviously an important number. 8 is the square. 9 is the circle. And squaring the circle, 8 times 9 is 72. Lord Jesus Christ in English Gematria equals 72. There's 72 names of, the God, of God in um, Kabbalah, Kabbalistic research. Um, the angles of the pentagram are 72 and 108. That's 108 and 72. So uh, once again, those equal um, 180. Uh, 108 is, uh, I'm just going to mention this briefly for those that you don't know, it's mentioned in the Fibonacci sequence. You actually find the Holy 108, uh, something I've covered many times before. Lots of people have uncovered that. I'm certainly not the first one to do that. And, uh, and then finally, you have the upper angles there at 126. So and so 126 and 126. 1.26 is the key number to doubling the cube. And that's what I'm going to make the case that this is actually represent, representing is, is uh, doubling the cube. And this is actually what this other guy, this um, uh, I think Chinese guy had said that Durer designed the proportions of his polyhedron to encode a solution to the classic Greek 
mathematical, mystical mathematical problem called the Dillian problem, and that is to find the double the volume of a cube. So you take a cube and it's like, hey, I want to find the, I want to find double the volume of that cube. Ancient mystical mathematical art. Well, you'd say, well, I just multiply it by two. Well, no, that's not because then you would have two and two and it would be a lot more in volume. And so there's an algebraic perform uh, algebraic formula for all this, but I'm not I'm not going to go into that here. Um, but beyond all that, it's when you double the cube, all you have to do is take the side of that cube, and to double it, all you do is multiply it by 1.26. So if you got a cube, you look at that volume, it's like, hey, there's uh, this side of this cube is a side of unit three. Well, I'm just if I want to double that, all I have to do is take that side multiply it by 1.26 and you're going to have double the volume of the cube. And so this is what this guy is actually mentioning. He's saying that, look, this solid is him in Melancholia discussing doubling the cube. Okay. And as I said, 1.26 is the key number. It's the absolute mathematical fact to double the cube. And you have uh, 126 on the top there. Of course, this is the cryptic way in which they do this, encode these things. Uh, Durer um, discusses the Dillian problem, or doubling the cube, in um, one of his books. So, in one of his treaties on you know the mathematical you know proportions of the human body and uh, the measurements and stuff like that, one of the things he tackles, one of the big issues he tackles, is doubling the cube. And once again, we've talked all day long about the cube. In fact, I got to thank Bud Madison here. Is because I just got this today, and as I was about to go live discussing uh, a four-sided, we're going to be going into the the um, magic square of Jupiter, and that's a four by four square. And he sends me this today, so <laughs> it's a four by four cube. And so we talk quite a bit about the cube on this channel, of course. Why? Because it's the city of God in Revelation. And it represents up, down, left, right, forward, and reverse, and where God rests. And that's into the center of you. Doubling the cube. So, uh, once again, a unit cube side one and a cube with twice the volume is blah, 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 blah. But it basically equals 1.259 rounded up to 1.26. And so that's, you know, just like because it's an infinite number, you always have to round it, you know. Wish I could give more, brother. Blessings. Thank you, Ben Krupa. Thank you. I don't know if I missed any super chats. I'm sorry if I did. I've just been rambling away here. So thank you. If you get a chance, sign up at GnosticAcademy.org and support the work. So doubling the cube is known as the Dillian problem. So, and that's what I'm saying that he's encoding there. So another guy mentioned this, that the... The, you know, I, I'm not going to go into this too much, but you can kind of see this. There's a psychiatrist from Munich, Germany, and he basically, you know, noticed that if you projected this solid onto the ground, it will actually form the Star of David, right? This the six-pointed hexagram, of course, right? And so, you know, and that you can you can actually do yourself, and you know, you can actually show that that's that's what it does. It's you know, it's got the six sides and boom, 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 and you get this hexagram. And so once again, it's it's the occult. It's it's the unseen. It's what you don't see is what they're trying to show you. And this is how it's always done. Okay, this is how the mysteries are always passed on. And so here you have the cube. Um, once again, this 
that's one of the things that you can actually get from the fundamental geometry of the, the two-dimensional Star of David, and you can once again extract the, you know, basically the cube from in that. And not only that, hexagon or hexagram is six-pointed, and what is the cube? Six sides, isn't it? You know, no big leaps of, you know, connectivity here at all, right? So that's just something that's naturally uh, encoded within the hexagram. And this is, you know, once again, what, and that, that's not even, that's verifiable. It's something you can do yourself. So why is this important? Because as I wrote in this book, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ himself, and this is just one of the ways that shows you that he points to this number, doubling the cube, 126. You take Lord, Jesus, and Christ, and all you do is mirror those numbers. 13 becomes 31. So Lord is 13. Mirrors become 31. Jesus is 27. Mirror that to become 72. Christ is 32. Mirror that to become 23. And you add them up and 72 becomes 126. 72 becomes 126. Seventy-two. 126. So that's just one of the ways I show a couple other ways you can double the cube. But so in other words, all these things that guys like d geniuses, absolute freaking geniuses like Da Vinci and Durer, they were all writing books on and, and making art pieces on we're referencing doubling the cube. Once again, these ancient, ancient mystical mathematical arts like squaring the circle and doubling the cube, they were writing trees on it. They were encoding this stuff into their artwork. Obviously, I'm saying and, you know, giving you the proofs that they put all this stuff, not these guys, but whoever, whoever crafted the name of Lord Jesus Christ, put it into Lord Jesus Christ as well. So, yes, doubling the cube, squaring the circle, that's all in uh, this book. So, in fact, here, I'll show you this. Oh, maybe it's not here. No, it is. Um, so, I've got a whole chapter on doubling the cube and showing all the ways that, you know, what is doubling the cube, all the ways that the numbers are encoded in there. Um, I show all that. Um, and then squaring the circle. Then there's a whole chapter on squaring the circle. And so once again, that same thing that we found in Da Vinci, when Da Vinci was showing the proportionality of the circle and the square, right? Squaring the circle. That's encoded in Christ all day long. I think I've only sold like 300 copies of this book or something like that. There should be 300,000 copies of this book going out. But unfortunately, we deal with too many Jim Bobs of the world, I guess. So, so let's talk about this. Um, let's go back to this. So now we'll we'll leave this baby off. We'll end this thing. In the upper right hand corner, there you see um, in this absolute masterpiece, you see what's known as the magic square of Jupiter. And magic squares are essentially number problems, right? So think about this. This is a Christian artist who helped 
spur the Reformation. His art was lauded and copied and bought, and he had a print house, and it was you know sent all over Europe and stuff like that. He's heralded today, and he was a, as you could see all the art pieces, the Adoration of the Trinity, and, and you know all the books of the Apocalypse. He was a Christian artist, and part of what he was doing was number problems, and that's what's encoded in Melancholia there, and that's known as the magic square of Jupiter. Okay, so let's get into the magic square of Jupiter. So this is the magic square of Jupiter, and you can even see that uh, part of it's related, on the upper left-hand corner there, it's related to Christ and the Tetragrammaton, Jesus, Christos, Mary, Maria, of course, Mary, and the Tetragrammaton. And the Tetragrammaton actually, Jesus Christ is, is, once again, we just showed, or I didn't show, but I mean, I only went over it briefly, represents the cube, right? Is it, it, the, it's, the cipher is based on it, that sort of thing. The Tetragrammaton is Yad He Vav He equals 26. Well, there's 26 pieces of the cube. There's 26 pieces that construct the cube. So there's eight points. 12 lines, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 points. And six faces, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Total of 26. So Lord God equals 26 in English Gematria. Yad Hivavhi, the Tetragrammaton equals 26 in their cipher. And what does 26 represent? It's the pieces of the cube. And then, of course, you have it around... A couple cubes there and of course those are all circles and squares and circles and squares and circles and squares and circles and squares it's almost like they knew what they were doing so that's the magic square of jupiter now the magic square of jupiter is put into a four by four square pay attention this is a lot of math sorry bunch of math we're gonna have to do it so it's the magic square of Jupiter, and it's a four by four square well number one the square of a four by four square is is really unique out of all the other like two-dimensional uh you know um geom geom geometric archetypes or you know uh, geometric polygons whatever you want to say um geometric figures there's a word words sometimes they're handy when you have a four by four square it's a really unique um geometric figure because its area and its um, and its perimeter, both are they're both equal, and this doesn't really happen with any other geometric form. I think there's a rectangle that's um, a rectangle that's three by six is the same. So if it's like three plus six plus three plus six equals eighteen, and three times six is eighteen. But as far as you know, geometric forms, the square is very unique in this sense. So the perimeter is sixteen. Four times four is sixteen. Or excuse me, the, the the area is 16, so 4 times 4 is 16, and the perimeter is 16. 4 plus 4 plus 4 plus 4 equals 16. So the square is extremely unique, is, 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 is an extremely unique figure in that the square is represented by the number 4, and a square of a side of unit 4 will have its perimeter and area equal. So this is a very unique quality and characteristic of the square. Hence why, you know, the square is, once again, you know, used all throughout art and stuff like that. So this square, in other words, is represented by the number four and the number 16. It's represented by the number four and the number 16. Everybody get that? Okay. 
So here's the magic square of Jupiter. Now, when you add this across, all of them add this across and then add them up and down, they all equal 34. So 16 plus 3 plus 2 plus 13, it's 34. Um, 5 plus 10 plus 11 plus 8, 34. 9 plus 6 plus 7 plus 12, 34. 4 plus 15 plus 14 plus 1 is 34, right? You do add them to the top. 4 plus 9 plus 5 plus 16, 34. 15 plus 6 plus 10 plus 3, 34, etc. So that's the that's the whole idea of a magic square is that usually across and up and down will all equal the same. And so all of these numbers have to be arranged perfectly in order to do this. I want to mention one thing here. Um, this the art his um, let's go up here. Melancholia was created in 1514. And you can even see this. He's got 1514 here at the bottom. So he actually put this. A lot of times the magic, this magic square is actually shown with this line at the bottom at the top. But he, he put it at the bottom. So it's like you know 1514. So it's pretty interesting there. But just a little side note. So they all equal 34. Okay. So what does that reduce down to though? So if this is 34 and 34 and 34 and 34, right? Well, that would be 3 plus 4 is 7, and 3 plus 4 is 7, and 3 plus 4 is 7, and 3 plus 4 is 7, right? So if those all equal 34, and you reduce it down, you get 7. What's 7 times 4? It's 28. It's 28. You have 28 going this way, and you have 28 going this way. Well, that's 56. Well, that's the phalanges of your hands and your feet. The divisors of 28 sum to 56. So 1, 4, 7, 14, 28. Or was it 1? I missed 1. 1, 2, 4, 7, 14, 28. Add that together, it's uh, 56. So the divisors of 28 equal 50. So just by adding those up, reducing them down, and adding them together, you get a fundamental mathematical template that is right in front of you, the praying hands. So there's that. There's quite a bit more. So this way equals 34 as well. So 4 plus 6 plus 11 plus 13 is 34. 1 plus 7 plus 10 plus 16 is 34. And then this equals 34 as well. So the squares, and so the square, you break it up in smaller squares, and they all equal 34 as well. So once again, this is... This is mathematical, um, you know, problems and mystical mathematical problems in which basically these guys like Da Vinci and Durer and all these absolute masters of, of art and architecture and, and art, you know, all this sort of stuff, they were doing this stuff. They were doing math problems and, if you will, occult math problems, mystical math problems. And they were creating some of the greatest you know, especially Durer anyway, some of the greatest Christian art that's, you know, last till this day. He's celebrated to this day. So all those equal 34 as well. Okay. So all of those numbers, just those 16 numbers there had to be put perfectly. Okay. Now we can reduce these down. So in other words, if you take the magic square, so there's 16. So upper left-hand corner, six, so 16, 3, 2, and 13 is that first line, right? 
So one plus six is seven, three remains the same, two remains the same, one plus three is four. So you just seven, three, two, four. Five, 10, you know, 10, one plus zero is one, 11, one plus one is two, and then eight. And then of course, one, five, there, there you go. Um, nine remains the same, of course, six, seven, one plus two is three, nine, six, seven, three. All right, notice I highlighted the nine there. It's important. Four, 15, 14, one, one plus five and 15 is six, one plus four is five and one. I know I'm going over this pretty quick, but you can see, so four, six, five, one. So, so that's the reduction of the magic square of Jupiter. Well, what happens when you do this reduction? Well, seven plus three plus two plus four is 16. And five plus one plus two plus eight is 16. Skip this line, go to the next line. Four plus six plus five plus one is 16. Now the line above that is nine plus six plus seven plus three is 25. So the only line that doesn't equal 16 is that one line there going up or across. That includes the nine. Well, why do you do it like that? Why would it have to be done this way? Why do you do it this way? Well, because he was he was trying to show you, number one, all those things equal 16. And what is the square? As we showed, it's a four by four square and its perimeter and area will both equal 16. Very unique property to the square, okay? But in order for this to all equal 16, you'd have to take out that nine. Well, do you know what that is? Once again, it's a common mystical mathematical art called casting out nines. So casting out nines is, is uh, it's an arithmetical procedure and there's a bunch of different ways you can do it, but I'll just simplify it. So if you look at it, like if you take a number 39, right? And you say three plus nine is 12 and one plus two is three. So 39 reduces down to three. Well, in order to get that reduction, all you have to do is take that nine and cast it out, right? So this is, let me give you another example. Um, um, well, uh, you know, 129 or 149, 149, one plus four plus nine is 14 and one plus four is five, right? Well, one, four, nine, all you have to do is take that nine out, add one and four and you get your reduction. And this is called casting out nines. So this is a very important, it was one of the first things I learned in numerology actually. And here you have Durer, and in order to make all of those things equal 16, which is the area on the perimeter of that square, and 16, remember 16, it's gonna be very important. It'll tie it right to Jupiter. You have to cast out that nine. So in other, in other words, to make this reduction work, you have to employ this, once again, this mathematical function of casting out nines. So there's that. Now there's more though. When you add 16, the, the original, you know, uh, um, magic square of Jupiter, when you just add across, what do you get? 34, 34, 34, and 34. 34, 34, 34, and 34. 34 plus 34 plus 34 plus 34 plus 34 is 136. So if you add those columns across, add them all up, you get 136. Well, what is that? Well, it's, you know, obviously it would be, um, 
the 16 triangular number. One, two, three, four, five. I mean, all you're doing is just adding adding the numbers essentially up in the entire square, and you're going to get what? The 16 triangular number. So yet again, the reduction gives you 16, and the the normal just you know gives you all these 16s, gives you casting out nines, gives you that the property of the the really unique property of the square, and then you get 136, which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Add all those up and you get 136, the 16 triangular number. Now, when you cast out that 9 and you get 16s across, 16, 16, 16, and 16, you get 64. Well, do you know what 64 is? It's 4 cubed. It's 4 times four, it's finding the volume of a four-sided cube. Four times four times four is 64. So think about this. Just in the layout of all of these numbers, it's given you the 16 triangular number, the reduction to seven, which gives you the hands and the feet, the phalanges of the hands and the feet. It's giving you, it's it's focusing on the number four, which is talks about six, you know, 16. Once again, triangulation is 16. So it's giving you the square of six, or the square of four, and then sixty-four. It's giving you the cube of four. All of this in just simply how they put numbers together in a box. Okay. So now this is called the magic square of Jupiter, and we have all of these references to sixteen. Of course, you know you're, it's got the sixteen numbers there, so it's the sixteen triangular number. It's going to equal one hundred thirty-six. You've got four, 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 four. 16, you got 4 times 4, 16, you got the reductions, 16. You've, that, that reference is what? 64, which is what? 4 cubed. All of these things, referencing cube, referencing, referencing a square. Not only that, but where did we just talk about? We just talked about that this thing, the, the Dura solid, is all about the Dillian problem, doubling the cube doubling the cube, right? This guy thinks it's doubling the cube. He he wrote treaties on the Dillian problem or doubling the cube. This, you know, this is once again verifiable. Talks about the Star of David, which has the hexagon, the cube in there. All of these things referencing the square and the cube. But it's called the magic square of Jupiter, right? It's called the magic square of Jupiter. Well, what does Jupiter have to do with this? Well, one Jupiter year is roughly 12 Earth years. It's like 11.8 or something, right? So one Jupiter year is roughly about 4,332 Earth days. So you divide that by, let me calculate here. Uh, somebody divide 4,332 4, divided by 365. You're going to get like 11.8. So in a 12-year time on Earth, Jupiter will go around one time, right? About 12 years. Well, do you know how you get really close to that number? Well, you take 16 times 16 times 16, and you get 4,096. And you take 16 times 16, and you get 256. And 4,096 plus 256 is 4,352. So in other words, you take 16 cubed, which is all over that magic square. 16 is all over the damn thing. You take 16 cubed, which is what? Referencing the square or cube. 
and then you take 16 squared and you add the square and the cube together and what do you have a number that's 20 days off from the number of one jupiter year now we're like well that's not the same number that's just a, now you're just playing with math this is over a 12-year period so mapping jupiter over 12 years simply by cubing and squaring the number 16 you get within 20 days of one jupiter year cubing 16 squaring 16 and what do you get to 20 days over a 12 year period if you were to i don't know what i don't know the actual math is but it's something like 99.9% you know 99.8% correct probably even more than that that's how close it is so so why is it called the magic square of jupiter well because it encodes the jupiter jupiterian year how about that word there's a new word for you jupiterian year so all of that within number games ah just playing with numbers dur was he was just playing with numbers that's what he was doing <laughs> or or he was a genius that knew that God works his magic with math. The math is a universal language available to all people, put right in front of you. And these guys studied the shit out of it. So it's eight, it's nine o'clock. It's a half hour past my bedtime. So. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you all for watching. It's been a wonderful um, two and a half hours. Hit that like button. I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, yeah, so that's Albert Duro for you. And someday I'll learn how to pronounce his name correctly with the, the rolled R's and the ul kind of thing with the umlaut. It's probably never going to happen. Anyway, so we are going to um, we are going to do this all again Sunday, and we'll talk about the nature of evil on the nature of evil. This was great. Thank you, Marty. I thank you all for joining me. Um, I appreciate everybody that shows up. If you get a chance, stop on over to gnosticacademy.org and become a member and buy a book. Give a book as a gift. Get it on the shelves. Get it on the shelves. And if you get a chance. Buy a ticket to Flattoberfest and meet us there and we will hug and kiss and praise and clink beers and, I don't know, do dance the night away and I'll do karaoke and sing, you know, like, now I hail the time of my life. Something like that. And if you do get a chance, go to the True Earth Mount Miru Summit. Um, that's online. There's, like I said, tons of great people that are going to be there. Dave Murphy and Hibbler Productions and Austin Witsit Gets It and Peggy Hall and that big bear dude and all sorts of people. Jaron's going to be there and I'm going to be there. And so Marty50 promo code. All right. So thank you all. Have a wonderful Friday night. Thank you all for being here. It, it means the world to me. So awesome, Marty. Thank you, Jim Grassi. Yes. 
Uh, Durr, amazing, huh? Amazing. I'm so glad I got turned on to his work because, I mean, I knew it before. I mean, I knew a bunch of his stuff. Like, I knew the praying hands and I knew melancholy and stuff, but I had no idea. I really had no idea the uh, um, uh, extent of, of what this guy did in his life. So, all right. Um, it's bedtime. I love you all. Have a wonderful Friday night. Uh, like I said, become a member at GnosticAcademy.org. Help, help this uh, work out. I can only keep this going if I get assistance and from you guys. And if I don't, then I can't keep going. And that's just, it's, that's how it is. And I refuse to do this by anything but the support of the people. Um, period. If this doesn't get the support, I don't keep doing it. It's that simple. So if it's wanted and that sort of thing, then people will support it. And if not, then I go away. It's just the, that's just the way of the world. So, all right. So Sunday, Sunday fun day, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. We will be doing On the Nature of Evil. And it's going to be great. Okay. And then, yes. And uh, are you asking about Matthew? Matthew, author Matthew? Oh, no. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Guys, I love you. As always, many blessings and much love to all.